turn it on and rip the knob off. Welcome, everybody, to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. This is episode 16, and I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, as always, Steve Ekstad. Steve, welcome back to the show, my man. Happy to be here, man. Hopefully your uh, Christmas shopping is coming along nicely. <laughs> yeah, you know, the kids, they're getting a little older. Now they're wanting money. And some of them still get, get toys and goodies like that, but some they're starting to want money. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but That's easy. It's, it's easy <laughs> to shop for. But when you're using credit cards, sometimes money isn't as easy to come by. <laughs> but yeah, everything's doing going that, good. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think we're doing well at this point in the uh, holiday season, and tis the season. We're now in December. Christmas is upon us. New Year's is upon us. 2021 is upon us, Steve. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I'm I'm ready to put 2020 behind me and start anew in 2021, and hopefully, it's a little bit better. Agreed there. What I really don't want to put behind us is the Great American Bash. I had so much fun doing the watch along last week with you and the Great American Bash. I'm not going to lie. I even listened to it Thanksgiving morning while I was cooking before kickoff. So uh, it was a good time, man. I I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too, man. I was hyped for that show. I'm glad we got it out of the way. No time to live in the past. It's time to move on and get the aftermath of uh, the bash. And I'm excited for that as well. It's all new to me. So, um, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we get to see where everything goes here after the bash. We get to see what happens uh, next in the uh, Flair and Funk situation, the Muda and Sting situation, and every everything else going on post-bash. But before we get into the Wrestling Memory Grenade episode this week, uh, I want to remind everyone to please continue to check out Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's our sister program. Drops every Monday morning as we find our footing there. It continues to improve every week. I've really had a lot of fun with that one as well. Steve, man, I know that's, as you call it, your bread and butter. You really remember that era really well. And it shows as we talk, you, you really have great fond memories there. We have a lot of fun on that show. It's a little more of a relaxed atmosphere over there. And not that there's anything wrong with what we do here on the Grenade, but it's just a little more relaxed. I think we have a little more fun over there. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, we're just focused on one thing, and that's the Monday Night War. All the other stuff, all the other syndication and pay-per-views and things like that, it's not really within the spectrum of what we're talking about. And I grew up with the Monday Night War, so definitely I do have a lot of fond memories. And I really, I don't necessarily look back at it as fondly as I did when I was younger, <laughs> but I still enjoy going back and reliving it. It's fun. Yeah, not everything lives up to the hype when we go back and, and watch it again. Most of this stuff here in 1989, or at least the post-George Scott era of 1989 NWA, has lived up to the hype for me. So I've really been enjoying that. I also want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia for the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. That's at WrestleCopia, C-O-P-I-A. You can follow us at our sister program. That's at Monday Warfare. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. And of course, as always, follow us right here, the Wrestling Memory Grenade, on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also want to encourage everyone to go over to Patreon, our Patreon account at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. There's a bunch of new watch-alongs recently posted over there on the all-access tier, including more Best of the WWF from Coliseum Video, 
the WCW World War III 95 pay-per-view, as well as the WWF Survivor Series 95 pay-per-view and more. And we've got more, even they're going to be posted here in the days and weeks to come. So you guys go over there, subscribe to Patreon, the all-access tier, get all of our watch-alongs. If you enjoyed me and Steve last week on the Great American Bash watch-along, you can expect more of that on our all-access tier there. Just a variety of topics and events that we cover there. And there's also new episodes of the Power Hour over on Patreon at the Power Patron tier. We recently reviewed the AEW Full Gear pay-per-view, the WWE Survivor Series 2020 pay-per-view, and we even did our very first question and answer, our very first Q&A episode of the Power Hour where we answer your questions and maybe some questions we throw at one another. And uh, also a reminder, you can send us your questions via our DM over on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's at Russell, C-O-P-I-A. Or you can also DM us over there at Wrestling Grenade. You can also email us at WrestleCopia at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, thoughts. Our ears are open. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And I do ask all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, please help keep WrestleCopia and the Wrestling Memory Grenade alive in 2021. Please support us on Patreon, as I mentioned, over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. We'll have more information on that and other bits of news here in these brief but important messages. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia podcast network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show, The Grenade, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special, and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick, and what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us 
me and Steve what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a Power Patron tier, all you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited. We say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier, where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. All right, we're back, and we're getting ready to talk about the post-Bash era of the NWA, or at least the post-pay-per-view bash era. But first, I just want to once again say big congratulations once again to all of our free prize winners from the Thanksgiving free prize giveaways. A lot of fun there, the Razor Ramon autograph, the Kempatera McDonald's pack, as well as the Survivor Series reprint posters. Some really fun gifts. We hope you guys enjoy your gifts, and we'll have more coming, I'm sure, this holiday season. Absolutely, man. I'm working on something special for Christmas, so keep a lookout for that. And keep on following us and tell your friends to follow us at Wrestling Grenade so they, too, can enter in the free prize giveaways moving forward. All right, Steve, it's time to jump into the NWA action this week. We're going to do another two weeks of NWA action. It's the first two weeks following the Great American Bash pay-per-view. We're going to see all of the fallout, or at least some of the fallout, as we get going here. But before we do that, let's close out the Great American Bash tour and talk about that. But the first thing I want to talk about is Ricky Steamboat is gone from the NWA. His final night was actually at the Great American Bash pay-per-view. It's definitely unfortunate because I really like the story and what they were doing with him and Luger. He actually pops up once or twice on some of the TV after the fact, but yeah, it's just unfortunate they couldn't figure it out. Damn Bonnie Steamboat getting in the way of everything. Uh, You could be held liable for that, Steve. Now, don't be making false accusations or true accusations that you can't prove, (laughs) at the very least. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, stories here. There's Steamboat's version of the story. There's Jim Hurd's version of the story. There's even Dave Meltzer creating his own narrative of the story. So I don't really know who to believe. I've heard that there was a $50,000 discrepancy 
in the uh, money that Steamboat wanted versus what Jim Hurd wanted to give him. I've also heard that there was a $10,000 discrepancy, and it was more about them going back on their word. I heard that Steamboat got ready to sign the contract, and as he was getting ready to sign the contract, they wanted to change the amount, obviously lower the amount, and he wasn't having it. So there's a lot of narrative out there. I don't really know which one is true. There's probably a little truth in a few of them. But at the end of the day, they simply couldn't come to terms. Steamboat wasn't happy with the way he was being treated. And I'm sure, as you pointed out, Bonnie Steamboat probably had a hand in that as well. And so with that going on, Steamboat gone after July 23rd. But the Bash Tour still continued all the way through August 6th. So the matches scheduled for the rest of the Bash Tour were Steamboat challenging Lex Luger for the United States title and no disqualification matches. With Steamboat gone now, he's being replaced by a variety of names, anywhere from Dr. Death, Steve Williams, to Rick Steiner, to Wildfire, Tommy Rich, which we'll hear a little more about over the next couple weeks of TV here. But what do you think? I I know it upsets you that Steamboat's gone in the middle of this great storyline because this is part two. We were getting ready to see part two, and now we don't get it. And it really sucks. (laughs) We're used to guys leaving after a feud is over, not just when it's starting to take off. How do you feel about them basically batting around ideas with all these other guys on the on the house shows and Steamboat gone? We've lost one of our main events on this leg of the uh, the Bash Tour. Yeah, I, it's really unfortunate because I really think outside of maybe Rick Steiner, but he's been doing the, the tag gimmick for a little bit of time now, so I don't necessarily buy him as a U.S. title contender. It's kind of weird that he's going from tag teams with his brother just straight to a U.S. title match. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't be entertained as hell, but uh, it'd be a good match to see. But I'm just not buying it. Tommy Rich, I'm not buying. Doc, I can believe it. I mean, that would have been a pretty decent feud. But I, I just feel like Luger and Steamboat, there's something about it is a perfect combination. I don't know what exactly it is. But I just feel like they they meshed really well. The matches were solid. The match we saw was solid. The story that they were telling was really good. And you really can't, once you have a storyline built for two people, you just can't plug somebody back in there and just, continue on with it like tommy rich can't come out and say i want an odq match because you did the x to me when it didn't happen to him it happened to steamboat so really you really just got to change the whole story shift gears and move on and uh, you made a comment earlier on in the grenade about the great muda once we've seen him it's like how the hell do you let this guy go how, how do you let him out the door at all I mean, Ricky Steamboat came in and basically saved your company at the beginning of this year. And because we talked about that ad nauseum as well. Like, what the hell would Ric Flair do if Steamboat didn't come along and then Terry Funk come along? So he, he essentially kept your company afloat for the most part as far as the main event feud. And you're going to shaft him over 50, 50 grand? Doesn't make sense to me. It's not smart. Even if it is 10,000, that's even worse. So. I feel like Steamboat's a guy you got to figure out how to keep him around and make him happy and have him there because you're just getting the all-time professional guy. You know, he's going to be there. He's going to put on good matches and he's going to deliver. You don't have to worry about him. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, now that you brought all of that up, I guess I'll cover one of the narratives that's out there. And one of those narratives is that Jim Hurd, you know, the NWA was uh, obviously uh, leaking money left and right. They were they were losing money out the ass. Now, there's <laughs> there's no hiding that. And I guess they were looking yeah. at a way to cut costs, and so that's why they lowballed Steamboat here using his lack of drawing ability during that Flair trilogy as a reason why they didn't want to offer him X amount of dollars, uh, feeling that they had right that they could use this as an excuse. Hey, you didn't really draw money 
when you worked Flair. The matches were great, but you didn't draw money, which is true. But nobody, let's let's face it, nobody was going to draw money during that period, especially when George Scott was there and not even promoting the events and things like that. So I, I look at it like, well, you know, you can play hardball, and and I guess the argument is there. They didn't, they weren't making any. They're not making any money right now. I mean, look at look at this Bash tour. You know, this wasn't right, built right. just on on That's Steamboat. Not. You have everyone but Ric Flair up until this point on the tour, and it's still not drawing. And it's really nobody's fault. It's I don't know. I just uh, like I said, I, I wasn't I wasn't privy to the contract negotiation conversations, but these are things that are out there in the air if you want to believe them. And that seems to be like a credible one. It sounds like a business strategy when you're talking to, you know, a, a potential employee. Obviously, uh, Steamboat yeah. wasn't buying it, though, and he took some time off. If you're trying to save money, why don't you, why don't you cut Iron Sheik's ass? Like, I mean, you just look around in your office and figure out what the heck's going on. Where's your money going? And get rid of it where you don't need it. Well, and see, I think this, the, the issue there is Steamboat's contract has expired. The Iron Sheik has yeah. a... You know, ironclad contract, ironclad contract, if you will, and he's stuck there, which is why they have to put him back on TV or or pay out his contract and let him go home. Which again, Turner, the company, the business, isn't going to let that happen. They're not going to pay this guy to go home and and sit, which uh, I w- I wish they had. Yeah, me too. But the Bash Tour continues on July 24th. They make a stop in Altoona, Pennsylvania. July 25th, it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. July 26th, Jacksonville, Florida? Nah, I don't think so. Another, I believe this is the third city that has canceled the Great American Bash Tour due to low ticket sales. July 27th, they're out to Tallahassee for 3,200 fans. July 28th, a sellout in Orlando in front of 6,500 fans. So they did well here in Orlando, which is quite a shocker because Orlando's not really a wrestling city unless you count the Disney tapings. And they're in Florida, so I was really shocked to read that they, they drew a sellout here, 6,500 fans in Orlando. That's pretty cool. It almost looks like, well, outside of getting canceled in what, Jacksonville, I think. seems like it picked up a little bit after the actual pay-per-view. A little bit. Not much, but somewhat. Well, we'll see here. Uh, July 29th, they were in Tampa. I don't have any information for that, but on July 30th in Miami, the Knight Center, two years ago, 1987, they drew 16,000 fans to Miami for the Great American Bash Tour. This year, 2,800. That's more than an 80% drop in fans. Well, I mean, I'm comparing from where the bash started this year to right. where it's at now. I think it, no way you can compare it to, it's not fair to, I mean, it is, but it isn't fair to compare it to 86, 87, 88. I mean, those are, yeah, some of the all time best working night after night after night and feuds that are just off the charts and not so much here. Well, I'd, I'd argue that these storylines here in 89 are far better than what Dusty had put together, at least in 1988. And it's just not working at this point. And then we get a set of tapings. July 31st in New Orleans at Municipal Auditorium. August 1st, Baton Rouge Centriplex. And August 2nd at Center Stage in Atlanta. And then it's back out for the final leg of the Bash Tour. August 3rd, Little Rock, Arkansas. August 4th, Kansas City, Missouri. The Kimber Arena. 2,800 fans there. And then, of course, you go to Kansas City. What's right around the corner? St. Louis, the big wrestling town. Once sold out all the time. August 5th here, the Keel Auditorium, 3,500 fans. <laughs> Did you get the Omni show? I do have the Omni show. And we're, we're, we're going to close the show with the Omni show because that's ah. where the show closes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got you. I just want to. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, 
I'm excited to see how that did. I hope it did well. Uh, <laughs> I haven't looked it up yet. I guess I'm going to be in, in suspense until we get through this. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see because they hyped the shit out of that show. Boy, they Man, they they like sure it. did. You, you kind of get pissed off at them by the end of the hype because we don't get a <laughs> we we as fans we don't get a payoff unless we we purchase a ticket and head on down to the Omni. Uh, I always think of that. I remember the night of Halloween Havoc '90 and sitting in my living room and I and I was watching the TBS program and they were pumping the show. It was probably already getting ready to start in an hour or whatever and. But of course, they came on TBS at the same time, and they're pumping the Halloween Havoc show, and it's in Chicago, and Chicago's at least eight hours from me. But I'm a kid, Steve. I have no knowledge of how far away places are. I've no, you know, you know what I mean. So my grandpa just jokingly looks at me, "Oh man, we should go." Now he doesn't watch wrestling, so he he wasn't going anyway. We, oh man, we should go. And I got all hyped up. Oh yes, yeah, shit, yes, let's go, let's go to Halloween Havoc, and uh, you know, it's eight hours away, and it, the show starts in in an hour. Wasn't gonna happen. <laughs> so I had, I had I had miniature flashbacks here as they kept making me want to drive to Atlanta for this show. And I, I said, yes, yes, I'm going to go to, oh, this happened 31 years ago. I guess I missed the boat. So, yeah, yeah so. but when we close this show, we will discuss the final night of the Great American Bash Tour, August 6th in the Omni in Atlanta. And they do build very well to that, especially on the final episode of World Championship Wrestling on August 5th. So we'll get there. We'll get there before the show's over. And that takes us into the Power Hour for July 28th. And I believe there was a Braves game that night that went 17 innings. So I don't think the Power Hour uh, aired until close to 1 a.m. that weekend, Steve. Yeah, you got to stay up late to get some of that NWA action. I'm not sure if I would have. Well, I'll tell you what, I give them credit. At least it wasn't preempted completely. They do eventually do air it overnight. So I guess I don't. it's not necessarily July 28th. It could be July 29th, depending on the way you want to look at it. Either way, it is the power hour, and we kick the show off with Dangerous Dan Spivey taking on Johnny Rich. Tape from Amarillo. The announcers for this one are Lance Russell and Paul E. Dangerously on commentary. Last week, it was Sid wrestling Davey Rich. This week, Spivey wrestles Johnny Rich. Teddy Long gives Sid the night off. He even offers Dangerous Dan the night off. Long thinks he can beat Johnny Rich here. And boy, I would have liked to have seen that. Teddy Long versus Johnny Rich. That would have been entertaining. <laughs> I don't know for how long, but it would have been fun. Dan Spivey doesn't need the help, but he winds up distracting the referee long enough for Sid and even Teddy Long to take some cheap shots. And Long's slaps were even funnier than the boots that he put on the dudes at the Great American Bash pay-per-view here. Long purposely... Uh, barely touching Johnny Rich as he overhand slaps him as he's hanging over the ropes here. Powerbomb ends it in 9 minutes and 20 seconds. Quite possibly the longest squash in wrestling history. Yeah, I don't understand why it went so long. I don't get it. Power hour. I guess. It is the power hour. and Their matches tend to go longer than other TV shows uh, as far as like the Saturday Night and Pro and Worldwide. But man. If you're going to give Sid the night off just so Spivey can get in there and get shit done, and then he goes 10 minutes, get rid of Johnny Rich. I mean. I think it was ooh. something similar last week between Sid and Davey Rich. It went entirely too long, for much longer than it needed to, again, because it was on the power hour. But at least Sid, who probably shouldn't have given as many hope spots, he gave, he gave much more hope spots for uh, Davey Rich last week here. This was really yeah. just Dan Spivey murdering Johnny Rich for nearly 10 minutes, just entirely too long on any any tv program i agree 100 it wasn't bad it's just way too long yeah like, yeah i mean Spivey. johnny rich is a, a great talent uh, don't get me wrong and dan spivey's fun to yeah. watch him beat the hell out of people all these uh, high impact big monster moves but 10 minutes of just a squash is just too much 
Absolutely. It's time for ah, ah, Gordon Sully's WNN from Baltimore. Special episode of WNN as Gordon Sully runs down the full results from the Great American Bash pay-per-view. All nine matches he talks about, including Sting versus the Great Muda. Of course, you remember the finish when we did the watch-along. Both men, and during a back suplex spot with a bridge, both men wind up getting their shoulder up. Tommy Young makes the count, and we don't know what happens. The announcers didn't even really know what happened. They, they guessed what might have happened. We know Gary Hart and Muda left with the belt, but we find out here the title is held up which gets even more confusing later on because everyone seems to have the belt in their hand at some point during these next two weeks, whether it was during a promo <laughs> or on their way to the ring or whatever. But that's what happens when a lot of this stuff's pre-recorded prior to the actual pay-per-view. And we'll get into that as we go along. It's Scott Hall teaming with Ranger Ross here against the New Zealand Militia. A little bit of continuity here. I'm not sure if it was Power Hour. I felt like it was a syndicated show last week, but it was the New Zealand Militia that tried to double-team Ranger Ross before Scott Hall made the save. So here we are in center stage for this match. Combat kick, just minutes or seconds into the match on Rip Morgan, and we only get a two count. What the hell was going on there? Did, did Ross just have a brain fart and accidentally hit his finisher when he, when he wasn't supposed to? So Morgan has to kick out almost immediately from uh, Ranger Ross's finisher as the match gets going. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was like almost at the very beginning of the match. It's almost as if Ross thought he was in another squash or something. But I was curious as to why he threw it myself. Rip Morgan eventually winds up hitting a sit-out clothesline on Scott Hall to get some heat. Hall does entirely too many smaller babyface-type moves, drop kicks, and sunset flips. He does a sunset flip here. It just looks absolutely silly in the execution and trying to pull over. I'm not remember if it was Victory or Morgan, but he just looks silly. A big guy that size trying to pull the heel over into a sunset flip. Yeah, he's trying to be the babyface, and that's what he thinks the baby, how babyface wrestles is my guess, and it's just not working for him. He's, yeah. he's a lost soul at this point. He doesn't and there's know really what the nothing doing or what he wants to be. Yeah, he just doesn't know. And it's not really like anything he does looks bad. His drop kicks look totally normal. Like there's nothing wrong with his drop kicks. The sunset flip was fine too. It's just it looks silly when somebody that size is doing these things. He should be uh, working on a a new arsenal of move moves, which he eventually will develop here in the next couple of years. I'd say so. <laughs> Rip Morgan winds up missing a middle rope leg drop. Scott all makes the hot tag to Ranger Ross. We get a four-way melee in the ring. Rip Morgan off the middle rope, but he nails his own partner. Jacko, victory. Ranger Ross with a schoolboy on victory. Get the win in six minutes, 15 seconds. Sloppy finish by the militia. They were completely out of position on several spots and not, not a very fun match. Uh, definitely not. It makes you wonder, too, kind of about with Hall. Do you think I, it almost feels like nobody took him to the side and said, hey, man, this is what you should be doing here you're doing this all wrong or not necessarily doing it wrong. You're just, you have the wrong offense, man. You're six, five, two seventy, and you're jacked. You shouldn't be doing sunset flips and drop kicks. Yeah. They look nice, but you shouldn't be doing them. You should be beating yeah. the hell out of people. And uh, it almost feels like nobody did that. I'm not sure I've ever heard him credit anyone, but certainly somebody got in his ear here between this run here in 1989 and then returning as the diamond stud. And I know he had a stint in Puerto Rico. I'm trying to ramble off in my head. Who else was in the territory at the time that may have helped him? Possibly Dutch Mantel. That sounds like somebody that might've really done a good job getting Hall to find himself. I'm not sure if Dutch was, I know Dutch was in and out of Puerto Rico all the time. I'm not sure if he was really there during Hall's tenure, but I know Dutch was booking there some in the early 1990s as well. So Maybe Dutch. I'm not sure who else was around Scott Hall here between this run here and the Diamond Stud run to help him develop this, not necessarily the character, but just the different way of selling and, and, and things of that nature. 
was it his buddy TNT there, Savio Vega? It may have been. I mean, they were both there at the same time. I, I'm not. I'm not seeing TNT coaching anyone on on the proper way to uh, behave as a babyface, especially during his runs in Puerto Rico. <laughs> My answer here in 1989 is I'm sure there was a lot of guys that noticed Scott Hall, you know, but maybe they didn't want to help him because they saw Scott Hall and they're like, I don't need this guy taking my my spot on the card. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but you do have those situations. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I wrote here in my notes as this match concluded, I had asked what went wrong with Hall here in 89 when, when he first debuted. That was one of the questions I pondered why he wasn't pushed or why he didn't stick around. And I think by this point, I've gotten my answer. It's pretty evident. He's not ready for this. Absolutely. It's Funk's Grill with Norman the Lunat. Oh, wait, he doesn't like that name. Terry Funk changes it up to Norman the Great One, at least for this week. Norman says he had a job when he worked at the sanatorium. He worked in the cafeteria, which explains a lot of things. Funk asks Norman if he likes clowns and if he'd be willing to dress up as a clown. Norman loved the thought of that idea, so what does Funk do? He hands him a blue Ric Flair-esque robe and a a blonde wig, and he sticks it on top of Norman's head, even puts him in a rocking chair. Says it's Ric Flair's grandma. Uh, I guess he's a a clown. Ric Flair's a clown. He tells Ric Flair to go buy his mama some teeth, because Norman's missing all those front teeth, as you know. So what do you think of this? Uh, it was clearly all done for comedy. However, Funk found a way to work his feud with Flair into this whole nonsense. <laughs> it was pretty funny for the most part. I really liked the end when he's sitting in the rocking chair going, woo, woo. And he's like, this is how we, this is how Flair learned how to do this when he's making fun of his mom. Um, he talked about his dad the week prior, or dangerously did. Right. I believe it was on the danger zone. So yeah. the dad's been made fun of. Now it's the mom's turn. I mean, it's it's cheesy and it's kind of stupid. It was funny because it was Terry Funk. Main event time on the Power Hour. It's two baby faces as Wildfire Tommy Rich takes on Buddy Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, coming to the ring by Missy Hyatt. And oh my, Missy, the cameraman loves Missy here tonight. Uh, lots of shots of her legs and cleavage and yes. And Polly dangerously does a great job. Selling the story where they've been enemies in the past, Rich and Eddie Gilbert and other territories, but they're now friends. Announcers made this all about the top 10. I thought that was really great. A really great selling point. The importance of the top 10 here. Two baby faces, two friends going at it in order to make the top 10 or at least elevate themselves on the top 10. Yeah, I, I thought that was a great job as well. Because like you said, they're buddies, so they don't. you don't think they're necessarily going to go at it. So they really make it important by saying that it's for the uh, NWA top 10. So I, I thought they did a great job. This whole, the whole match is made by Paulie dangerously. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like it's in my notes. Yes. It's actually my next. He just, does a trem- <laughs> he just does a tremendous job. He just says, he just does an excellent job of making this match mean more meaningful than it really needs to be. Of course. And Paulie, big fans of both guys. And he had even managed Tommy rich in Memphis. And he's known Eddie Gilbert and worked around Eddie Gilbert as well. So, he goes out of his way to turn what would be a uh, fairly dull or mundane match into something special as long as you're listening to commentary. Anyway, Polly makes this match by narrating a backstory to Eddie Gilbert's injuries, adding an entirely new dynamic to the entire matchup. Mentions a regional territory where Polly was with Gilbert 
He references Gilbert had a shoulder injury there. Paulie's got a great mind like Cornetti. He remembers things and he utilizes them to get things over in the, in the present, utilizes stories from the past. And I was really impressed when he brought up Eddie's shoulder injury going back to, I don't know, his last November or the beginning of December or something like the last year's clash where Eddie Gilbert and Ron Simmons took on the Fantastics in the U.S. Tag Title Finals. And Gilbert worked an injured shoulder that entire match. So he references that as well. So really great job by Paulie Dangerously. Both announcers really, I mean, Lance Russell obviously knows Gilbert, the Gilbert family, and Tommy Rich very well as well. So both announcers just really made this match so much more important than it would have been any other time it was on TV. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's how I usually watch wrestling is just listen to the commentary to hear the story that's being told. Because if you have a good commentary, you don't necessarily need to see what's in the ring. Uh, They can tell you the story. And uh, this match, uh, I watched it and listened, and it was just awesome. I like how uh, Dangerously was even getting frustrated that these guys weren't taking cheap shots at each other. Because, you know, usually they're friends, and eventually Mm -hmm. heat picks up, and somebody lays a right hand, and they all hell breaks loose a little bit with the good guys. And Dangerously's hitting at it throughout the match. And finally, at the end, he realizes it's not going to happen. And you could hear the frustration in his voice, like he's disappointed that it didn't happen. Like, to me, that was him just doing that kept me interested in his match because I was waiting for it, too. I was like, okay, this is how these always end up. And it didn't this time, which was different. And I thought this was a, it was a great story. It was enhanced by the commentary tenfold, man. It was just awesome all around. Yeah, so Paulie mentions Eddie Gilbert's previous shoulder injury. So what happens here? Eddie injures his shoulder. Tommy Rich spends a good majority of the match working it over. They tease heel stuff. When they crack heads, Eddie Gilbert takes a bump to the floor, but Tommy decides he's going to help him back in. They shake hands. The match continues. They do something similar later in the match, too, I believe, where where Gilbert kind of wants to go to that that old hot stuff, that that heel hot stuff, but he decides against it because he's friends with Tommy Rich. They do eventually wind up trading some some pretty good forearms there. Just a really quick, heated moment in the match, but they, they move away from that and back to the wrestling Tommy Rich winds up working the leg of Eddie Gilbert, which I, I question, why did you move away from the shoulder? But Gilbert returns the favor, works over Tommy Rich's leg, locks in the figure four. I was a little surprised to see Gilbert locking in the figure four here, given that, that you know, it's Ric Flair's <laughs> finishing hole. But Gilbert gets desperate with two minutes to go. He posts the leg. You remember, the top ten is in effect. That's what the announcers even drive home here when Gilbert winds up doing it. Because Gilbert had to think about it twice. He had to think twice about ramming his friend's leg into the ring post, but he finally does so. But back in the ring, Tommy Rich winds up locking the sleeper in on Eddie Gilbert. They said 30 seconds left in the match. It was the longest 30 seconds I can ever count to myself, but it winds up being a 15-minute draw, and they eventually even shake hands after the match. Yeah, I really enjoy this. It's one of the better main event matches we've had. It was it was a non-finish, but at the same time, it was it was a draw, so it wasn't like that cheap finish it was just two buddies going at it and neither one got the upper hand and i really like this match yeah well done told story inside the ring and as you already said the announcers uh, enhanced it tenfold really great stuff and we closed this episode of the power hour the wrestler of the week he should be the wrestler of the week every week because he's the nwa world heavyweight champion it's rick flair no complaints here and we move on to nwa pro for july 29th taping in amarillo texas we get a Terry Funk pre-tape promo on Scott Hall. He says he's going to do the same thing to Hall that he did to Flair way back at WrestleWars. So I guess he's going to try to end Scott Hall's career. And he tries his damnedest <laughs> with one of the spots near the end of the match. We'll get to that when we get to the end of the show. We kick things off with Sting taking on this job guy by the name of Tony Garcia. 
This is clearly taped before the bash, and I'm not even sure if they knew what they were doing at the bash yet, because Sting holds the TV title in his hand as commentary from Cottle mentions it is held up. So a little bit confusing there. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Like I had no idea what the hell was going on with this. Like I can just see from your notes, man. Like I feel the exact same way. It was so messed up, and it visually it messes with you. The interviews mess with you. It's just completely out of order and not consistent. And I think that's a, a hindrance to the NWA in general at this time is just they tape ahead, which everybody did at the time, but they don't edit anything. If it doesn't fit, just remove it or have them cut another promo and make sure it follows the line with what you're selling. Right. I mean, if you're just scrolling through the channels and you turn it on and you just watch the bash, and all of a sudden, Sting's coming out with the TV title. You're going to be like, well, what the hell happened? How did he get the belt back? Uh, when did this happen? Did I miss something? I mean, there's just, it just throws you off. Is this an old show? Like, what's going on? So I, I just, they should know better. They should know how to fix this by now. And, and to be honest with you, we know they never do. I mean, this happens all the time in WCW. NWA, yeah, it doesn't matter. There, there are more continuity issues on these next couple of weeks of TV than we've seen in quite a while, at least since the booking committee took over for the NWA and it, it only gets worse in future weeks, at least for a little bit anyway. So Sting gets the win here. He tries to monkey flip this guy. I've never seen this Garcia before. Not a very good worker. We see that a lot with a lot of these Texas job guys over the next couple of weeks. I don't know who trained these guys, but they're not very good. Stinger splash Scorpion ends this in just a minute and 20 seconds. We go to a pre-tape promo of Gary Hart. Now Gary Hart has the belt in his hand during this promo. Didn't we just see Sting with the belt just two minutes ago? Now Gary Hart has the belt, but the belt is held up, but he's holding it. Muda isn't the champion, but neither is Sting. This is what really bothered me about the promo. He's really downgrading Sting as an athlete. He's shitting all over Sting, basically, and not just in heel fashion. It's like he doesn't really take him seriously, mocking his bleached blonde hair and calling him Mr. Nobody, calling him a sissy. Wasn't the entire premise of their match at the Bash, Gary Hart wanted the greatest athlete in Japan to take on the greatest athlete in the United States. Yeah, that, that, that's what he sold it as at the contract signing. He said, uh, you're the best that the U.S. has to offer, and I got the best that Japan has to offer. And then all of a sudden, you see him go 10 minutes, and it was a pretty much a draw. It was essentially a draw. So how can you come out and say these things that he's just a sissy and a pretty boy, and he has no shot against Muda? It's like he completely changed his mind. Or these were taped before the bash and before – that contract signing was taped. I know they put the stamp on that as July 1st, but I highly doubt that. So maybe initially that's what they wanted to go with and then maybe, or this is what they wanted to go with. And then they, he changed his mind, but that's the hard part about this. You just have no idea. Yeah. None of this makes any sense because we saw Sting come out to the ring with the belt. Yes, it was taped before the bash, but if they knew they were going to take the belt off of him, they could have had him leave it in the locker room. Nobody would really noticed. It was a, a 90 second squash here. And then we get an interview Near ringside, Bob Cottle interviews Sting back with the belt that we just saw Gary Hart have, that we just saw Sting have prior to the Gary Hart promo, even though the belt's held up and nobody has it. And I couldn't really tell because Bob Cottle kind of had his head turned, but he mentions the belt is held up. What happens next is the weirdest part of all of this. He questions Sting about the belt being held up, and Sting completely ignores this because Sting's on an open mic, so the crowd can hear it. And this was prior to the Bash pay-per-view. And all Sting says is he references the great Muda, his recent feuds with Terry Funk. No explanation whatsoever is given or discussed about the TV title. A really weird promo, really short promo too. It went like 20 seconds seemed like, but I don't even understand the point of this promo. 
Yeah, I don't either. I mean, again, this is all you, you go back to the, the editing board. <laughs> it's you can see this, you can see the inconsistencies in what you're doing. So why are you still going out there and letting it, letting it be seen by everybody? Uh, just cut it out. You know, it's not that hard to do. Just cut it out. And uh, they, they don't do that. It's just a waste of time. It's Captain Mike Rotunda in the ring. He's kind of moved away from Kevin Sullivan now, taking on Steve Casey one-on-one. Tommy Young winds up catching Rotunda using the abdominal stretch with leverage from the rope, a famous IRS spot right there. Thumb to the eye and a butterfly suplex out of nowhere gets the win in two minutes, seven seconds, and that appears to be Rotunda's new gimmick, that he's a scientific wrestler, but he continues to use as many cheating holds as he can behind the referee's back in order to gain leverage. So that seems to be Mike's new persona. It's something, I guess. It's better than what he was doing, <laughs> being gone for weeks on end, and then all of a sudden be stuck with Kevin Sullivan fighting the Steiners. Glad we're past that. It's promo time with Mike Rotunda. Lance Russell interviews Mike near the ringside area. Rotunda now looks like he's headed towards a feud with Dr. Death Steve Williams. That would explain why we saw the interference from the outside Rotunda costing Dr. Death the win in ring number two at the Bash pay-per-view. So at least there's a little bit of a storyline there. Rotunda winds up challenging Dr. Death to a wrestling match. No kicking, no punching, no choking, a scientific wrestling match. Rotunda wants to prove he is the better scientific wrestler. At this point, he's stating he is the best scientific wrestler in the business. Yeah, I like this, to be honest with you, because you know they both can wrestle and put on a decent match without necessarily punching and kicking. I mean, Doc, I know, is good at that, but I feel like they could... I like the story and where it's heading. Uh, I know where it goes, so I don't want to spoil it before we get to it. I like this. So Rotunda issues the challenge, lays the challenge down to Dr. Death, so we get a response from Dr. Death both in the ring and on the mic. First, Dr. Death takes on Wild Bill Irwin. Irwin pops Doc with the handle of his bullwhip to start the match. Referee Nick Patrick misses that. It doesn't take long for Doc to make the comeback. Oklahoma Stampede ends this in 2 minutes, 37 seconds. Fastest Irwin match yet. I can't thank the Doc enough. Yeah, me either. Promo time now with Dr. Death. It's Lance Russell talking to the Doc about Mike Rotunda's challenge. Doc agrees to Rotunda's scientific match, but he says, I'm bending over for you, Rotunda, so you're going to bend over for me. Lovely words from Dr. Death here, as he wants this to be a tournament or a two out of three falls type situation where they wrestle three separate matches. And I once more, you know, I brought up last week him doing the ho and the thumbs up, and you said you missed it on whatever episode of TV I was, I was reviewing last week when I, when I mentioned it. Did you catch him here when he said tough guy and gave the thumbs up and said, yo, <laughs> I don't know if you missed this I absolutely one. caught it this time. Okay. I do not. I was, I was looking <laughs> for it, and uh, he definitely didn't disappoint. He did it. <laughs> so pretty cool. I'm yeah, I cool think, with it. I think it's just a big thumbs up to Hacksaw's buddy over in the WWF. I think they're just having fun there. But Dr. Death agrees to basically <laughs> enter into a feud with Captain Mike Rotunda here, they're going to have three scientific wrestling matches. We'll see how those go. I really like the idea. It's always cool when guys just want to, they don't really have much to do, so they, they give them something. and It's something small, like, okay, we'll do the best two out of three. And that just instantly kind of gets you interested in what they're doing in the match. I know Mike's not the greatest, but I think him and him and Doc can put on some decent matches because they are, they're probably buddies from the varsity club days. You know how those guys like to get, get snug and, really lay him in there so um it shouldn't be too terrible i'd be interested to see the trilogy here if it goes through back to the ring it's norman the lunatic taking on alex porto yeah that alex porto the future pug 
1996 WWF, the future Beach Bully. I'm sure he'd rather be remembered as that over in Global Wrestling Federation in the early 90s. Teddy Long brings Norman to the ring. He has a big, giant key now. A It's a, very hokey to the character. The whole, the whole gimmick's hokey. I don't know what a key does to make it even more hokey or less, but man, it's so terrible. Teddy Long does a good job working the crowd pre-match. Norman is not a lunatic. Polly dangerously joins commentary for this one, putting over war games. I guess it was just a way to get Polly on the show to put war games over because this match has absolutely nothing to do with war games. The Karachi crunch on no one. Alex Porto does not move out of the way. Norman randomly charges into the corner and hits an avalanche splash on absolutely no one because he's Norman the lunatic. Eventually, it's a trip to the Batcave, the real Karachi crunch, and a middle rope splash. Finishes Alex Porto off in a minute and 33 seconds. What do you think of this new thing with Norman running into shit? <laughs> when I first saw it, man, I, I laughed my ass off. I thought it was hilarious. And the fact that he sold it, like he grabs his chest and he's like, oh, <laughs> like the wind's knocked out of him a little bit. I thought it was hilarious. And um, he does it even more later on. And <laughs> for whatever reason, dude, I find it hilarious. It's just great. I don't know why, but it's funny. We get our very first NWA Scott Hall promo. I couldn't believe it. He had been here this long. He's finally getting promo time, and it's a generic face promo on Terry Funk. Again, I see why Scott Hall didn't last here in the NWA. Tag team action with the Midnight Express taking on Dallas Jobber extraordinaires, Frogman LeBlanc and Mickey Finn. Dallas Jobber's Frogman was actually Stone Cold Steve Austin's very first opponent. Did you know that, Steve? I did not know that. We get an insert promo from Teddy Long here during this match. Again, has nothing to do with the actual wrestlers in the match. They need to work on these insert promo things. Ric Flair is being outed by Teddy Long. He says both skyscrapers, Sid and Dan Spivey, are coming for Ric Flair's world title. I guess I think what they're doing in this situation, because the skyscrapers are tag team, it just seems like they're trying to throw everybody that looks like a threat, any giant monster, into that running for a potential world championship match just to make the world title look even more important yeah i think so too i think that's what it is i mean they are a great tag team and they look great together but i mean most people they see two guys the size of spivey and sid and you got to think to yourself why ain't they going for the belts so i I like the fact that they're doing this just even hitting even if they don't even go through with it i like this idea that they're doing where they're giving sid and spivey that elevated rub so to speak by rick flair Bobby Eaton winds up popping Frogman off the apron with a nice jab. Double flapjack on Mickey Finn. Stanley makes the cover, gets the win in 1 minute 52 seconds. Cornette knew it was over before it was over. Cornette jumps in the ring before the three count can even be made. And the Midnight Express are your winners. Main event time, and it's Amarillo's own Terry Funk taking on Scott Hall. And <laughs> I love the introduction of this one. I actually grabbed it. We're going to listen to it here in a minute. Uh, the announcer basically says, in this corner, Scott Hall. And his opponent, and then he builds it up. And could you ever, <laughs> could the ring announcer give Funk a more babyface ring introduction than he does here? Well, let's take a listen. Let everybody listen. We'll talk about it on the other side. From Orlando, Florida, in this corner, Scott Hall. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a man whose name is literally the bedrock of the proud wrestling tradition of the Texas Panhandle. From the Double Cross Ranch, let's welcome home Terry Funk! 
First, I loved Terry Funk's theme at this point. Second, the bedrock. I mean, holy shit. What a, what an introduction for a heel wrestler. <laughs> Terry Funk, welcome home. Terry Funk, you couldn't get more of a baby face introduction if you paid this guy. No, absolutely not. I, I definitely picked up on that. That dude was selling funk. And man, this was, this was awesome. The crowd was in the palm of his hands the whole time. And they ate this up. Holy hell. Uh, if you can, if you guys can find this show, you just need to watch this match because it's so, it's so entertaining. Funk is awesome the entire match. The crowd is eating up every little thing that he does. It's just great. Uh, like, it's like a mutual admiration society here between Funk and the fans, and it's awesome. Yeah, Funk here is O-V-E-R, over, and I felt so sorry for Scott Hall. He gets his biggest match probably so far here in the NWA, and he gets it against Terry Funk in Amarillo. So where everybody should have been cheer- cheering for Scott Hall, they were solidly backing Terry Funk instead. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it, there's like maybe one spot where Hall did something on the outside where they actually popped for it a little bit. That they was, okay, maybe, okay, I get it. He's the good guy. Let's give him some love here a little bit. But it was, it was very short. They didn't really appreciate Scott Hall at all. They just wanted to see their hometown hero kick somebody's ass. And that's what they got. The match winds up on the floor fairly early on. Terry Funk winds up ripping the padding up off the ground, tries for a pile driver on the concrete on Scott Hall, but referee Tommy Young puts a stop to it. Funk shoves Young down, but then almost kind of apologizes. He doesn't want to be disqualified here in Amarillo. He doesn't want to be humiliated. So the match does continue. Funk winds up headbutting Scott Hall repeatedly, but then stumbles backwards into the corner. He headbutts himself silly. It's almost a little more Norman there. A little bit more Terry Funk. (laughs) Yeah. I apologize to Terry Funk for lumping him in there with Norman. Terry Funk's just in a world of his own. You're really fun stuff. And Scott Hall makes the big comeback. Two Bulldogs, not one, but two. And I'm pretty sure we haven't seen Scott Hall win a whole lot here outside of schoolboys, but I'm pretty sure the Bulldog was supposed to be his finisher here in this run. And he hits two of them on Terry Funk. And they wind up back on the outside once again. Hall decides to go for a third one in, in an epic babyface fashion. He wants to Bulldog Terry Funk on the concrete. Thank God that, that doesn't happen. Terry Funk winds up pushing Scott Hall off, and Scott Hall takes the bump himself on the concrete, and then it's back inside. Pile driver ends it, 4 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah, man, this was so much fun. Hall looked great here. I think this is the best Scott Hall looked, to be yeah. honest with you. He had that stinker in that tag match with Ranger Ross, but this one, it's all Terry Funk. We know that, but this is the type of match that he needs to be in. I feel like he elevated himself a little bit, and he worked extra hard. He knew his backup was up against the wall just for being in Amarillo and it's Funk's hometown. And you kind of behind the eight ball the way you got introduced compared to Funk. So, I mean, you had to go out there and show yourself that you belonged to be in the ring with Terry Funk. And I thought he did an excellent job. Funk made him look like a million bucks with his selling and the crowd went home happy if that was the final because uh, that was a hell of a match. It was very entertaining. Yeah, and you have to remember that Terry Funk's been working injured ever since the uh, end of June here. So he's been taking minimal bumps, not because he's lazy, but because he's trying to preserve himself for the pay-per-view at this point when this was taped, even though this airs after the pay-per-view. But he was giving it his all here for his hometown fans in Amarillo, taking bumps on the concrete, bumps in the ring. Really hard sell job here by Terry. Just a really good job in general by Terry Funk in this match. We move on to Worldwide for July 29th, taped at the Fort Worth Cowtown Coliseum. We kick things off with an amazing promo, a tremendous promo from the Steiner brothers, specifically Rick Steiner. Tonight, Rick Steiner takes on Sheiky Baby, the Iron Sheik, 
in the main event and immediately he shits all over the Iron Sheik. He says, yeah, yeah, he was good 10 years ago. He stinks now. Talk about a shoot. Rick says he will put the Sheik in the camel clutch as Rick begins doing the Iron Sheik curled mustache and slapping his chest and mocking the Sheik. Rick says he has a gold medal too and holds up this little miniature gold medal and starts swinging it back and forth, hypnotizing himself as the show begins. It was like a 30-second promo, but just amazing shit from Rick Steiner. Oh, my God, man. I was dying when <laughs> he started patting his chest and doing the mustache. Oh, man, it was great. Rick Steiner was awesome this week, and uh, this promo was funny as hell. It was good times. It was a great way to start the show. We move into a pre-tape promo from Terry Funk. He discusses the match at the Great American Bash against Ric Flair. However, this is clearly taped prior to it. There's no sign of stitches on his head, no bandages yet. As Funk pretends as if the bash match has already happened, he says what happened after the match was a kid spit on him. And he told that kid, you only spit on dirt. And Flair is dirt. (laughs) He says Flair might be champion, but he didn't leave the bash with his dignity. Funk says Flair still has what he wants, and he's coming back for him again. I guess that's about it. Pretty short promo. Yeah, there wasn't a lot to it. Uh, I thought the story was kind of stupid. It was one of those, another one of those promos where Funk's just trying to come up with a story to tell with very little success, I thought. But Yeah, there was the, the, was the segue from telling a kid to only spit on dirt and Ric Flair's dirt. It just really, it didn't go together. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, it was not a very good Funk promo, but, it, you know, it is what it is. And sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. That was a miss. Where he didn't miss was in the ring, pins Alex Porteau with a pile driver, one minute and five seconds. <laughs> and my only other note here was he puts the branding iron on Porto's chest following the match. Why do these guys sell the branding iron as if it's scolding hot? It's clearly not. Yeah, it's clearly not hot, but I don't think I'd want it jabbed into my stomach, even though, well, I guess they're really not. Yeah, it's, it's Terry Funk. I guess you have to, right? Back to the ring, more action. Norman the Lunatic taking on Steve Casey. And in this taping, the key is shrunk, Steve. It's much smaller than the large novelty size key that we saw in the prior show. Insert promo during this match from Sting, for whatever reason. Talks about the vacant TV title. These insert promos just make, they're inserted, they're literally inserted, no doubt about it. And there's no reason or rhyme to whenever they air. They can air in anyone's match at any given time and have nothing to do with the person in the ring. Yeah, it made no sense. I mean, it's been a minute since we've done this, but like, WWF was just such a well-oiled machine. Like, you see them, and you that's what you're accustomed to. That's the standard. And then you come and watch this, and it's like they have no clue. Everything's out of sequence. It's not in order. You have no idea what the hell's actual and what's not. And then you have promos popping up in the middle of nothing that don't mean anything to the person in the ring. I mean, you, you don't really see this happening in the WWF at all. Uh, they're good enough at hiding it or just not airing things. And um, it really sticks out here. It, it definitely does. Yeah. And the match starts off with Teddy Long wanting to talk on the mic, but the house mic is turned off. So he doesn't get to do his pre-match ritual, which I was happy with here because the quicker Norman's in and out, the better. Match starts off and eventually Norman, once again, Karachi crunched to the corner. Nobody home. And once again, not because his opponent moved out of the way, just because he felt like avalanching the corner buckle. However, it didn't end there because one theme that we've seen in the last several weeks of NWA TV is they like to reuse the same spots, the same gimmicks on every bit of the tapings they do. And so it becomes monotonous when we see somebody do something three times in a matter of two or three weeks. Norman ups it here. 
because he doesn't just, he doesn't just run face first into the turnbuckles. He goes outside and runs <laughs> chest first into the ring steel post. I just I was like, okay, okay, you topped yourself. I I gave it to Norman there. <laughs> yeah, he posted himself. And again, he sells it too. He's not just doing these moves and acting tough. He's selling it like it hurts. It's just it's it's so funny. Like it, it's yeah. so ridiculous. It, it's so ridiculous that they're having this guy do this. And I, I don't even know if they're having him do it. I don't know if it's just him. You know what? I'm I'm stuck in this gimmick. I'm gonna do something. I feel like I you know these are these are audibles that he's calling out there. These ideas that he's coming up with. It's, it's the way I take it anyway. And at least say, he's trying. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's trying to get it over. He realizes he's not no longer going to be some badass, dangerous heel, so let's take it in a different direction and see what we can do with it. And it's a good point. He doesn't do the Cactus Jack sell. He's not mutilating himself and then enjoying it. He's running into things and then selling it like he's, like he's injured. So it makes it all the more comical at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Steve Casey here does make a comeback, and by a comeback, I mean he does like two moves. And it's another trip to the Batcave, a Karachi Crunch, Another middle rope splash ends this one. Norman gets the win. Two minutes, 19 seconds. We move on to a Gary Hart promo. It's the same one as from Pro. He's holding the TV title, but the title's vacated, and it's going to be determined at a later date between Sting and Muda. A&W Cream Soda, King of the Slams. The Midnight Express this week, Steve, and I learned, I heard, and I thought I heard this in last episode too, that they're now doing just the tag teams, King of the Slam, which means the singles portion of king of the slams has already ended and i don't recall ever hearing a winner so either they ripped us off or maybe they're going to announce both at the same time there better be a payoff here or we, we should see some retroactive uh lawsuits going on here <laughs> i don't know if there is a payoff i don't remember seeing it. like they did the singles for a few weeks and then i i, I picked up on the fact that they did say tag team king of the slam I, i've been picking up on that for quite yeah. a few weeks now so it's transitioned to that, but yeah, I don't remember any payoff anywhere as, as far as that goes. So we'll see. Don't get your hopes up, man. Right. We'll see. Back to the ring with the SST taking on bomber, Ray Evans, frogman LeBlanc insert fan promo this time. Uh, some little girl wanting to know if the SST are, are shipped around in a cage or something like that. I don't really understand this. They continue to do this with fan promos moving forward these next couple of weeks. I'm not really a huge fan of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm not either. It's a complete waste of time. There is one that's funny, though. I think it comes <laughs> up, but uh, <laughs> this one wasn't it. Yeah, you got to remember these aren't even live, and they somehow managed to still make air. If this is the cream of the crop of the promos they're getting from the fans, maybe they should discontinue this in, in a hurry. <laughs> so we've seen Lee Scott do it repeatedly. We've seen Jerry Price try out for the Flying Walindas here on last episode of The Grenade. This week... Frogman eats the backdrop. He takes a pretty good height on the backdrop here as the SST continue to destroy their opponents and don't even use the backdrop as a finisher. It very well could be at this point. Fatu with the old alleycopter, the whirlybird. And eventually the top rope splash ends this one on Ray Evans in a minute and 18 seconds. And just for good measure, Frogman eats a pineapple after the match. <laughs> it's Joe Petticino knows, and he's in Baltimore. This is post-bash. He's doing a live Pettacino knows from the Baltimore arena and they're hyping the upcoming on this particular episode of worldwide. They're hyping the upcoming new Haven, Connecticut show on August 27th, featuring Lex Luger defending his U S title against Dr. Steve Williams. And I made a note of that here because this is one of the many replacements for Ricky steamboat. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad one. I'm cool with like Rick Steiner and Dr. Death. It's just a Tommy Rich substitution. that kind of, doesn't sit well with me. I, that can't be very entertaining and very good match. I just don't see it. 
yeah, on paper, it's it doesn't sound very appetizing. I do remember them having a pretty damned good match, though, believe it or not, at the uh, upcoming Clash in the fall, the September Fall Brawl episode or edition of Clash. So we're going to get to that when we get to that. But uh, unfortunately, Lex Luger is married, for the most part, to Tommy Rich for the duration of the year here in the NWA. It's like they had all this these ideas planned out for Luger and Steamboat. And when Steamboat left, they didn't come up with anything new for Luger. They just kind of inserted Tommy Rich in there, at least on the house show circuit. And they just went away with that for the rest of the year. Wow. <laughs> I bet you Luger is not too happy with Steamboat. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Speaking of Lex Luger, it's Lex Luger promo time. And I don't know if you really paid attention to this or not, but he looks sunburned here to me. Everything but his eyelids were sunburned on his face and, and body. He had knots put on his back by the clean fighter, Ricky Steamboat. And for that reason alone... He will never give Steamboat a no disqualification match. Lex Luger says he is not going to ruin his million dollar body with a three dollar chair. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, it's clever. It was very well done. And uh, he basically wrapped it up with Hell will Freeze Over before he gives him a no DQ match. So I thought it was a solid promo by Luger. It was different. It was definitely different than what he's been doing. It's time for Flying Brian Pillman in action. Takes on Mickey Finn. Pillman again with that sling blade type maneuver where he does it so fast he doesn't really hook it at the end there, but he clearly, it looks like the sling blade, and I'd never realized Pillman had even busted out a move like that. I'm I certainly not questioning his ability to have done that back here in 89, but it's kind of cool to, to see it here. Uh, we saw it at the, the bash, and, I, and we're seeing it again here right now. He's been doing it for a few weeks, and I, it, it's hard to explain it because he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't completely swing around. He just looks like he goes with his off arm and hits a clothesline, but the way he does it, he's like laying out on it. It's like a Macho Man layout clothesline, but it's on the offhand, off arm, and I don't know. It's weird, and Sling Blade is the best way to describe it. It's very different. It's very cool, and, and I like it. An inadvertent comedy bump of the match sees Brian Pillman nail Mickey Finn with a dropkick. And Finn apparently had no idea what was coming. Just kind of crumples down to his knees and lays over sideways off the dropkick. I thought that was pretty funny. And once Pillman realized what he had in the ring, and you go back and watch this, Steve, if you want to. I realized it right then and there after the dropkick. Once Pillman realized what he got, what he had to work with, immediately after that, he continued all of the rest of the match on the ground, headlock, and finally a bulldog top rope backsplash ends it. Minute and 49 seconds, Brian Pillman picks up the win. Ricky's Steamboat promo time, he responds to Lex Luger's comments from earlier. Steamboat's still going back and referencing the turn way back at the Clash. I wish he would move past that and reference some, some new material. Steamboat's mind was set up for a no-disqualification match at the Bash pay-per-view, and that's the reason he got disqualified. That's the reason he used the chair. He had his mind set for a no-DQ match. You and you alone, Steamboat, thought this was supposed to be a no-DQ match. I could have swore for weeks Luger refused to have a no-disqualification match with you. So if you walked into that match expecting that, that's your fault. Yeah. I thought you were supposed to be the consummate professional and you're blaming your mindset on what happened. I mean, that's, I'm not buying it. Steamboat says Lex thinks he can pull strings and have the match changed at the last minute. The match was never no DQ, Steamboat. I don't understand this story, at least this part of the story. I do like that they're trying to escalate the storyline into a no DQ match. Uh, Steamboat says, Lex, you think you can pull strings? I can pull strings too. And eventually, you know, they would have wound up having the no disqualification match here. What do you think of the Steamboat promo? I think what he's referring to is the fact that um, at the start of the match, they announced it as no DQ at the bash. Yeah. So that in Steamboat's mind, 
he was getting that no DQ match at the show. And then Luger came out and did his whole gimmick saying, I'm not getting in the ring unless it's a, an actual match. So yeah. I, I guess in that sense, it makes sense. But like you said, this whole run up to it, Luger said, no, I'm not doing a DQ, a no DQ match. So you're not getting it. And it's, ba- it's basically settled that that's what it was going to be. was a no DQ, uh, not a non, it's a non DQ match. It, it has to be a finish or whatever. I don't know. I'm getting confused just talking about it. <laughs> it definitely wasn't an ODQ match, so you shouldn't have got your mindset on that, even though it was announced that way at this show. Back to the ring. It's the Skyscrapers taking on the Party Patrol. The Rich Cousins, Johnny and Davey Rich, they fought them in singles matches. Now, here's a tag team match. This was actually a match on uh, most of the Bash Tour of Skyscrapers versus the Party Patrol. Insert promo here from Teddy Long once again, hyping the Skyscrapers. Looking for Ric Flair in a World Heavyweight title match. Scrapers. Work over Davey Rich here. Johnny Rich gets the hot tag. Spivey no-sells a dropkick. Spike powerbomb ends it pretty fast. Four minutes, ten seconds. Skyscrapers get the win. Time for Pettacino knows, and all he does is talk about the fallout from War Games, but we're going to see a rematch. Well, we're not going to see the rematch, but there's going to be a rematch, War Games, at the Omni on August 6th. We'll talk about that at the end of this episode. I wish we were seeing that War Games. Maybe it could have been a hidden gem if it weren't for whoever's in charge of that whole WWE Network outfit. Fuckers. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, man. Get it all out. Promo time with Scott Steiner. When Rick is happy, Scotty's happy. When they were growing up, when Rick was mad, he beat the shit out of Scott Steiner. When they were growing up, when Rick was happy, he beat the shit out of Scott Steiner. And all that did was make Scott not afraid of anyone. He's just as tough as Rick Steiner now. I thought it was a very lighthearted promo. That's the way it came across. Scott was just joking around. Maybe not joking around, but it was all in, in good fun anyway. Good spirits uh, getting beat up by his uh, bigger brother. Yeah, uh, that's just the way it is, man. If you have a little brother, you beat him up. If you have a bigger brother, you're getting beat up. So <laughs> really no other way to put it. We close the show with the Iron Sheik taking on Rick Steiner, accompanied the ring by Scott Steiner and Missy Hyatt. The Steiners have their own theme now. Welcome to the jungle. It's no longer hot stuff playing. Makes sense. The Iron Sheik attacks. Rick Steiner tries to choke him with his headdress and his robe, but winds up eating a Steiner line. And oh man, that was fun. You know, when we were walking into this match, I think, I, I, I think it was a tag or a six man not too long ago where the Sheik was on one side and one or both of the Steiners were on the other. And I just kept waiting to see if they were going to suplex him. And nobody ever really took liberties on him. And I thought maybe, not necessarily out of respect, but maybe they just knew, hey, this guy's half crippled. Let's just go easy on him. But Rick did not disappoint me here. He did not go easy on the Sheik. I love the fact that he forced the Iron Sheik. And that's what made it really comical was Sheik wasn't taking these half-ass bumps or, or falling out of the ring or rolling this way. He was forced to take some bumps here. It really fun. Runs him over with the Steiner line. Made me laugh out loud. Make him bump. Make him humble, Rick Steiner. You humble Iron Sheik. Yalla. Rick holds the Sheik for Scott Steiner to take a sheep shot, but Rick, if Scott does that, you're disqualified. Another clever moment there by Rick Steiner. <laughs> yeah, that's great. This was so. This is another funny match, man. I, I don't know if they're intending to be funny or what the case is, but man, two great main events where they've been comically funny and not as bad as you would think they would be on paper. No, and if you thought the Steiner line was fun, Steve, how awesome was the German suplex on the Iron Sheik who had no option but to take the move? It reminds me of when I saw Kane get in the ring with Brock Lesnar, and this is at the point in Kane's career where he just was not bumping. 
and Brock Lesnar grabbed him from behind and started throwing him all around the ring. And I'm just popping because it's like, yeah, make him take those fucking bumps. And that's what this was here because Shiki had nowhere to go. Rick Steiner just hooks him from behind and he's already gone before you know it. Iron Sheik taking over in a German suplex and you don't see that every day. <laughs> no, you do not. And I thought, I thought Shiki did it well. He, he took it very well there. I don't think he had much of an option. And they move back to oh, comedy yeah. here as Rick Steiner gets down on all fours and Sheik tries to stomp on him, but Rick crawls around. So I felt like this was just Sheik calling an audible. Sheik gets down on all fours. And now we have a dog fight between the Iron Sheik and Rick Steiner on all fours. Rick Steiner winds up nailing the old junkyard dog all fours headbutt as Sheiky bails for a moment. Another co- great comedy spot there. You just don't see this. It's, it's, I don't know how, and I keep saying this, how do you come up with new material each and every week? I don't, I don't know how he does it. He does it every single week. And I, now we're going to – I have some issues with what comes up uh, soon. But I think he's just young. He, he's hungry, and he wants to be the best that he can be. He may be strapped with something that's ridiculous, but he's going to make the very best of it. And kudos to him, man. He knocks it out of the park every single week and um, just an awesome talent. Shiki with a brief comeback, hits a gut wrench suplex and an abdominal stretch. Rick Steiner winds up breaking out of it and starts stomping on the Sheik's curled-toed boots. You haven't seen that before either. Just really clever stuff throughout this match. Even at this point, Rick Steiner gets Sheik down onto his stomach, and, and Rick Steiner stands over top of him and starts twirling the mustache, starts slapping his chest. Rick Steiner is mocking the Iron Sheik. He's going to put the Iron Sheik in the camel clutch, and I honestly thought he was going to do it. Sheiky escapes just before... Steiner's able to lock it on. I was I was pretty bummed there. Iron Sheik tries for a suplex. Rick winds up countering into a, a sloppy-looking cradle, but gets the win, 4 minutes, 16 seconds. And so far, all year, only Rick Steiner has been able to get a fun match out of the Iron Sheik. This is probably Iron Sheik's last entertaining match of his career. Yeah. Unless you count the, the Battle Royal no. at WrestleMania 17. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had no idea what you were about to say. I, I already said no. No, I don't count that. Uh, He's still coming down to the ring. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. Very fun match. We move on to the 605 NWA World Championship Wrestling, July 29th. This was also recorded before the Bash pay-per-view, but we do wind up with Bash highlights to kick things off. I thought that this video was very well done, showing no results, not really any anything, by the way, of action in the ring. But getting over the pageantry and making it look spectacular, all the pyro and the entrances and really great job here. Have me hyped to watch the pay-per-view all over again. Yeah, I agree. This is, this is a great way to kind of hold true to what you said, how they said, you know, they said there's going to be no, none of this show is going to be seen on TV uh, as far as matches go. This is excellent. It is, they spliced it in the perfect amount to make it look big time. Like you had, the roadies coming down on motorcycles and Sting's pyro shooting down and the big jacket and vest that he had, the women with flair just looked great. It, it looked really, really good. And it's like, Oh man, they went all out at that show. I'd love to see the action. It's kind of how it felt. Yeah. And, and the funny part about it, they made it so spectacular. We watched the pay-per-view. I've watched the pay-per-view multiple times, but by the time the video was done, my first thought was, man, I got to watch this pay-per-view, but I had already done it. And they just kind of highlighted Points that, yes, we saw when it was happening, but they put it all together in a really spectacular video package. Really good job to make everyone want to go see the bash had they not had they missed it. And uh, I, for one, really happy with the outcome of the bash and now the highlights really hyped it up. And it's amazing that they were able to pull this off without actually showing any actual wrestling in the video. 
Yeah, they did a great job. You don't see that very often. <laughs> Tag team action. We just ended up seeing Rick Steiner wrestle the Iron Sheik on Worldwide, and now here we are, World Championship Wrestling, and the very first match on this show is Ron Simmons teaming with the Iron Sheik to take on both members of the Steiner Brothers, accompanied to the ring by Missy Hyatt. And boy, oh boy, Steve, is Missy Hyatt's cups, they overfloweth. <laughs> uh, what was she wearing this time? I, I can't remember. This. Oh, this is the one, right? Mm, is this the one I one? screenshots of? Oh, man. It, this might have been. The black one, I believe. The black top. Yeah, yeah, we this sent each other it. screen caps of, of Missy Hyatt. Yeah. <laughs> this one wasn't in center stage, was it? This wasn't center stage. Oh, jeez. Right? I don't know. It was pre-recorded. Jeez, I don't have that note. I'm yeah, very unprofessional that way. Stage yeah, this is center stage. Huh. Okay, well, it must not be that one then. Yeah, they're all pretty beautiful. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's Missy Hyatt, and she's looking hot all the time, so it don't matter which show it is or what she's wearing. She looks great. Robin Green out there, too, with a big hug on Rick Steiner for good luck. They do make a great couple. And speaking of couple, there's Missy Hyatt. That's what Jim Ross said. Did you hear that? Did you pick up on that? I did pick up on that, man. This dude's he's thirsty for some <laughs> Missy Hyatt. <laughs> so if you thought I, I wrote that line, you can blame Jim Ross for that one. As Rick Steiner and Robin Green hug, Jim Ross says, they do make a great couple. And speaking of couples, there's Missy Hyatt. Uh, so. And he plays it off, too. Uh... He said, yeah, that's a great pair right there, and the Steiners ain't bad either. <laughs> so uh, he plays it off like that's what other people are thinking, like kind of not like I'm not the only one type deal, and I'm like, it, it, you're still disgusting, JR. <laughs> so this match kicks off, and the first thought I have is I hope the Steiners toss the Iron Sheik around again. That was fun. But it doesn't really wind up happening here. So my next question is, Ron Simmons reportedly turns down the idea of the Ebony experience with Teddy Long and Butch Reed. But he doesn't say no to this shit? Teaming with the Iron Sheik? Something's not right here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Anything, I think being in a position where you're in a team that has a name, a gimmick, and and everything else is way more appealing than just being tossed around out there to tread water. At least you have something to do. I don't care if you like it or not. At least you have something to do. This, This is trash. (laughs) that's pretty much where he's at uh, for the next several weeks anyway. Quick heat on Scott Steiner. Rick tags in. Steiner line right away on Ron Simmons. But the Sheik's in with a side salto on Rick. Get the heels back on the offense. They go into an abdominal stretch spot, but my eyes are on Missy Hyatt. This is where where my notes are. She's wearing this white push-up top. This is the white push-up top one. And uh, I remember this spot uh, as if she needs a push-up bra or a push-up top, by the way. This is where the hard, she's facing the hard camera during the abdominal stretch spot and leans over the apron. And all I can do is look at Missy. I'm not really paying attention to the match anymore by that point. Ron Simmons, though, tags back in Spinebuster on Rick Steiner, but Rick Steiner makes the comeback with a belly-to-belly on Simmons, tags in Scott, who goes up top, sunset flip from the top rope. Scott Steiner pins Ron Simmons in five minutes. All of that in five minutes, but no fun spots with the Sheik. Sheik's like, uh, I got a tag partner this time. I'm standing on the apron, and uh, you, you have fun with Rick Steiner, Ron. I'm good. Honey, so, I'm uh, seniority. I am seniority. You you get this this punk jobber, this jabroni, this Ron Simmons. You you have him do the job. You're halal, motherfucker. <laughs> I would assume That's that. Went, yeah. I think it went something <laughs> like that. I I wouldn't doubt it. 
Oh, I love the Iron Sheet, man. I wish you got more promo time. It's Sting taking on Scrap Iron Bill Ford. This is the first time we've seen old Scrap Iron here in 1989. Insert promo by Sting during the match. So we get these now post-pay-per-view. We really didn't see insert promos a whole lot, and they're doing it like crazy here after the Bash pay-per-view. At least it's a Sting promo during a Sting match. So this one at least makes a little bit of sense. He's talking about losing the TV title and blaming bad camera angles for the reason he lost the TV title. Sorry, Sting, you can blame good camera angles for the reason you lost the TV title because we can clearly see both of your shoulders are up. The referee made a bad call. You should be happy because the other result would have been Muda leaving with the belt if it were for Tommy Young. So Sting, your argument doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. Sting does get the win here. Stinger splash. Not even a scorpion here on poor old scrap iron. Sting with the stinger splash gets the pin. One minute match. I'm with you, man. At least the promo fit what's going on on TV. But yeah, really nothing to see here. It's evident Gary Hart only recorded one promo post-Great American Bash because he's standing here still, same promo for the third show in a row, holding the TV title, but mentioning that it is held up. He calls Sting a blonde-headed goof, and uh, we'll see what happens there with the TV title in the days to come. Back to the ring is flying Brian Pillman over Keith Steinborn. Air Pillman, the springboard clothesline, wins this one, minute and 35 seconds. Brian Pillman, I don't know, I don't know if it's just me or what it is, man. But every time he gets a win and he stands up, that hard camera is always right on him. And the referee raises his hand, man. He just looks like a million bucks. He almost looks like a, a Greek god, like Lex Luger-esque to some degree. Yeah, he, he looks he looks tremendous here. And the weight itself is not, like, overdone. It's not He's not too big for his size. He, he has a great look. And the weight that he's carrying fits his build perfectly. And I, it's just, just awesome, man. He looks like a million bucks, like you said. So we talked about confusion on the syndicated shows with Sting coming down with the TV title, but them saying it was vacant, and Gary Hart holding the TV title, all that stuff, very, very confusing, right? Well, we see another flub, another botch here in NWA production as we get a promo from Captain Mike Rotunda once again. This is a pre-tape of basically the same type of promo that he cut on Dr. Death way back on, I think it was Pro. He once again challenges Dr. Death to a scientific match. No kicking, no punching, just wrestling. Rotunda wants to prove to be the best scientific wrestler in the business today. What follows is the confusing part. We get a promo from Dr. Death Steve Williams, a pre-tape as well. But they air the wrong promo. They air the promos out of order. This was to be aired on a future episode of World Championship Wrestling. This promo was supposed to air after his first match with Mike Rotunda, because here, just after Rotunda challenges Dr. Death, Dr. Death begins to talk about the match that they already had. He admits that he threw the first punch in their match and lost that first match by disqualification. So it's clear at this point, even though Rotunda is just issuing the challenge, that Dr. Death's addressing the match has already happened. Completely confusing. I wasn't ready for it. And then I went into the Observer, and I saw Dave Meltzer even touched on it, and I'm just like, wow. So Doc says it's a tournament, though, and the tournament isn't over. It's the best two out of three. Doc loses the first one by DQ. He's going to have to win two in a row to win it. But did you catch this? Did you listen to the promo where you kind of tuned out maybe here? I don't, I don't know. I, I can see how somebody might have overlooked this, thinking it was kind of the same old stuff from Pro. But, yeah, if you guys listen to this, it's Microtunda challenging Doc, and then Doc on the other end. Well, let's listen to both promos. Dr. Death, this is a challenge. Right here on TBS, I'm going to show you and the whole world who the best scientific wrestler is. I'm talking about no kicking, no punching, 
Just see who the best wrestler is, Dr. Death. You didn't have the brains to hang in the varsity club. So you're out, and now I stand alone. But I'm telling you what, I know you're big, and I know you're bad, Dr. Death, but I know I'm smarter, and that's what's going to make me the better wrestler in the whole world, Dr. Death. Not a very good promo by Captain Mike, but when does he ever have a good promo? So that's Mike Rotunda challenging Dr. Death to a scientific match. Here's Dr. Death's response. Okay, okay, okay. I lost my cool. I threw the first punch. All right, a lot of people, you know me. I don't go by the rules all the time. That's right. I'm breaking rules, and I came out on top. And I'm not proud of everything I've done, but I still go ahead what I think's best. And Mike Rotunda, that's right. I gave the first shot because I lost my tool. And when I lose my tool, I start throwing chairs around. Well, Mike Rotunda, the tournament's not over yet. So, <laughs> this was clearly supposed to be a promo of Dr. Death accepting Mike Rotunda's ch- challenge. Instead, it's a promo of Dr. Death discussing the fallout from their first fight. What did you think of this? I was wondering, like, why is he talking about throwing a first punch and lost the first match? So I, my first thought was maybe they just had a match on the house show circuit. That, that's where it was, and we missed the first match. Like, it, it didn't catch me completely off guard. Like, they aired the wrong one. I didn't really pick up on it that way. It was just more, okay, they had a match that we wasn't on TV, which didn't make sense. But I was like, what, what, when did this match happen? Kind of like how I mentioned earlier, to where you just don't know what the heck's going on. <laughs> so them playing the wrong promo does not surprise me in the slightest bit. I'm surprised it didn't happen more often, to be honest with you. So we've already had our issues with the Sting and Muda situation. Now we have our issues here with Dr. Death and Mike Rotunda. <laughs> They'll continue on with Ricky Steamboat and Lex Luger here over the course of next week. And then I won't even get into, on this episode of The Grenade, I won't even get into what happens on the next episode of the grenade that's just unforgettable and unforgivable but that's that's a whole nother episode and what's that here's my question though like this this whole show is on the the editing floor somebody edits this together and splices it together like nobody reruns and checks it after it's done editing i mean like (laughs) how the hell does this happen Uh, I, 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 i just can't fathom it man it's like it's like a movie director, you know, or producer cutting like two two of the same scene and they put in the wrong one or something like and then sending it to everybody to watch. Like, oh, shit, we sent the wrong one <laughs> and it just doesn't happen. Right. Like, it's unfathomable that you can do this consistently for years and nobody puts you in check or anything. I mean, Turner owns CNN. This is like somebody talking about a hurricane and they send uh, a tornado footage or something. I get it. Shit happens. But you got to be able to pick up on this and see that. Oh, crap. So they just spoiled the first match of this tournament. Like, who cares to watch it at this point? (laughs) Pretty much. Just ridiculous. Back to the ring. It's Ricky Steamboat taking on Jim Bryant. And if you remember, Ricky Steamboat's gone from the NWA. So this is obviously recorded before the pay-per-view. We get an insert promo here from Steamboat. It's the same promo as uh, from Syndication. He can pull strings too. Jim Bryant attacks Steamboat to start the match, but Steamer quickly to the top rope with a flying chop gets the win in a minute and two seconds. And uh, I wrote my notes here, just still thinking about it. A shame he left because what could have been? 
Yeah, I agree. And he, this match, you can tell he's switching up his style to be more aggressive because he just comes in and goes right into a, a, a tie-up and starts laying in the right hands. So he, he's complete, He's changing his gimmick, his in-ring work anyway, to get more aggressive and just start fighting instead of actually wrestling. You never really see that with with Ricky Steamboat. It would have been awesome to see that because it sounds like this feud was going to last probably through at least Halloween Havoc, if not longer, considering like what they did with Tommy Rich and stuff. So, right. uh, like you said, what could have been, man? That would have been awesome. Promo from Lex Luger. Once again, it's the syndicated promo, so they're not even cutting TBS promos here tonight. It's It's all syndication all the time. Lex Luger will never give Ricky Steamboat an ODQ match, and if he only knew that that is true, he will never give Ricky Steamboat an ODQ match here as the match as the show continues with six man tag team action. It's the skyscrapers teaming with Norman, the lunatic. Oh my God. Taking on what the ring announcer referred to as the wild bunch. It's the party patrol, Davey rich and Johnny rich teaming with cousin wildfire, Tommy rich. And we get peanut head chance immediately a trip to the bat cave early for Tommy rich from Norman. Tommy winds up slamming Norman. And I think this is the second time this weekend that somebody slams Norman. So that's just entirely too often that he's just allowing guys to pick him up and slam him just to get the guys over. I don't really understand the point of doing that. When you're a guy that size, it should mean more. You should save that type of maneuver. But I guess Norman just trying to show he's a trooper and he's he's trying to make everyone happy. Yeah, that's what it appears to be. He he does the, the spot again where he beats himself up. Like he's bashing his head in the <laughs> turnbuckle. And Sid kind of grabs him and tells him to come over and <laughs> tag one of them in. I'm not sure if we see any more of him after that. No, and, and we uh, don't. And that was kind of funny you mentioned that because all these weeks he keeps coming out during these skyscrapers matches and never do they even acknowledge his existence. Uh, Teddy Long does, obviously, but it's almost like Spivey and Sid go out of the way to pretend like he's not even there, like. He's an invisible man. They never really acknowledge any th- stupid nonsense he's doing at ringside and, and for the better here. So it was funny to see Sid actually have to interact with Norman here, though it wasn't very much work because we see Dan Spivey work over Johnny Rich. Sid works over Davey Rich. And at that point, I'm wondering, because we haven't seen Norman since like the inception of the match, the first minute of the match. And I start pondering, where the hell did Norman go? I haven't seen him in a while. And the camera pans out, and he's sitting there on the apron with his shirt pulled up over his head. Just more ridiculous nonsense (laughs) from Norman. And I kind of felt bad for the skyscrapers, because while it was hilarious, it takes away from two giant monsters killing guys in the ring because you're you're conflicted. There's comedy going on at the same time as horror. And so you don't know which, which way you want to go. You don't really know how to feel about anyone or anything that's going on at that particular time. Yeah, I I feel bad for all three of them involved because I think Norman realizes that he doesn't fit in with the skyscrapers, but he's asked to do a gimmick and he's doing it. And he's doing actually a pretty damn good job as long as he doesn't talk very much. It's it's ridiculous, like you said, but it's it's entertaining because it's not like overstaying his welcome. He's switching it up each time he's out there. But yeah, I'm with you, man. He needs to get far away from the skyscrapers because this doing the skyscrapers no no favors at all. And and these guys are two of the baddest dudes on the roster and they need to be protected at any cost. And having Norman out there just kind of kills some of that momentum for him. Like, how can you take him serious if they got a, a nut job following him around, bashing his head with trash cans on his head and hammers and broomsticks and Shovels. everything else that he's doing. Shovels and 
seat belts on around his head and things like that. It just does nothing for the skyscrapers. So they, he needs to get away. Yeah, it's, it's two gimmicks that are polar opposite and have no business out there at the same time. Both of them work in their own way, I suppose. Uh, but together, it just there's I don't understand the point of this other than to get everyone on TV. But the match goes on, and we see a hot tag to Sid Vicious and Wildfire Tommy Rich, and for some odd reason, Tommy Rich is in the ring for just a moment of seconds before he tags back to Davey Rich, and I wrote, why? So Davey Rich in the ring, and it doesn't take very long. Norman distracts Tommy Rich on the outside in a spike powerbomb to Davey Rich ends this match. 10 minutes and one second. I couldn't believe the Rich Cousins lasted 10 minutes with the skyscrapers here. Yeah, I think uh, Tommy got the hot tag on accident. <laughs> they shouldn't have went 10 minutes. I think the only reason they did was probably because Tommy Rich was involved. Yeah, and I, and I, I was just being sarcastic there. I, I knew that Tommy needed a tag out. Tommy wasn't doing the job, but they also needed a hot tag. And so who better to get a hot tag, brother, than Wildfire? So hot fire, or a hot tag to the wildfire. He, he, yeah, hot fire, hot fire. Tommy Rich, he uh, lays in a few <laughs> shots. Sid actually sells the punches out of respect for Tommy Rich, and then Davy tags in immediately, goes for an Irish whip, and just like a a good old fashioned WWF squash, where it's like a lower mid card guy teaming with a job guy, he tags in the job guy, job guy loses it for him, and that's that's pretty much what happens here with the skyscrapers and Norman getting the win. We get our first clips of bash action, and I, I agree with this 100%. It was really just a post-match brawl between Flair, Muda, Sting, and Funk. And that's exactly what you need to, to sell things moving forward rather than showing the actual matches and certainly the finishes as they have done with pay-per-views in the past. So kudos to them for getting over what needed to be gotten over on TV. And had I not seen the bash and all I saw was this brawl at the end of the pay-per-view, I would have been kicking myself in the ass for missing this. I agree with you 100%, man. And following the highlights from the Great American Bash, the post-match stuff, we get a Terry Funk promo. And this is what the living legend had to say. I'm Terry Funk. I want to make a plea to you simple-minded people to look after the animals in this world that are almost becoming extinct. I'm talking about the whales. There's only a couple of hundred thousand of them. I'm talking about the wolves, where there's just several thousand of them. I'm talking about the polar bears in Alaska. I'm talking about the whooping cranes. And I'm talking about the most endangered species in the world. What is that species? The most endangered species is a funker. That's what I am. There is just one of me. You see, I am an individual and I am an athlete. Nobody owns Terry Funk. No organization, no corporation. I do what I want to. And I told you people, it wasn't going to be the glory days in Baltimore. It was going to be the gory days. And that's exactly what they are, is the gory days. I took Ric Flair and I beat on him, and I took away his pride. I took away all of his honor. The only thing that I didn't get from Ric Flair is that NWA World Championship belt. And that is exactly what I am going after. You see, I do what I say. 
whenever I say something, I mean it. So you simple-minded people, watch me become the new world's heavyweight champion. I always love whenever Terry Funk references the whooping crane, Steve. (laughs) Yeah, I thought this was a really good promo. Whooping cranes and whales and wolves aside, I I thought he did a really good job. To be honest with you, when I heard the start of it, I thought he was going to go the most endangered species is Ric Flair. Um, because Terry Funk's going after him, but he kind of threw a curveball and said himself is kind of like he's the last of a dying breed, so to speak. Yeah, I thought this was tremendous, and very few people can get that intensity and that you know the the way he ended that promo. Very few people can hit that level to where it it just feels like it's so truthful and it's so honest and like he means what he's saying and he he thinks it's what's going to happen and you buy it, you can easily buy it. And it was just a great promo. And we close out this edition of World Championship Wrestling with the uh, Bash Highlight video once again. And I can't really blame them. Really good stuff. So just a reminder of what you guys might have missed. As we move on to the NWA main event, July 30th, host is Jim Ross, supposed to be Polly Dangerously as well. But Polly is quote unquote late. And the reason for that is he's trying to avoid having to discuss losing to Jim Cornette as well as losing the War Games match at the Great American Bash pay-per-view. We kick things off with the Ding Dongs taking on Fred Avery and the Masked Enforcer, Lance Russell and Paulie Dangerously on commentary here. I put in my notes here, they have the corner bell. They bring the corner bell to the ringside. They put it up on the turnbuckles there. They had that at the Clash of the Champions or a triangle or something like that. They haven't had it in other tapings, so it's kind of odd. I'm not really sure when this match was taped. I almost feel like this was taped prior to some of the other stuff we've seen of their work after the Clash, but maybe before... The other match we've seen here, the Ding Dongs on syndication. Uh, I thought it was clever. They brought a Polaroid camera. They were out there taking pictures of themselves with fans, pictures of themselves with, with referee Nick Patrick. They were wise enough to take their bells off for this match. They take them off their ankles, take them off their wrists, so they're not spilling all over the ring. They should have done that way back at the Clash, but live and learn, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been sitting here trying to figure out who's Ding, who's Dong, who are these Ding Dongs. They land a double drop kick on Fred Avery, and then it hits me. It's Ricky and Robert. It's the Rock and Roll Express. All along, I didn't know the Ding Dongs were the Rock and Roll Express. Paul E calls them. <laughs> did you did you hear Paul E having fun with this match? He wasn't taking the match seriously, and he says their their names. Which one's which? Lance Russell doesn't know. Paul e says the little one's Ding and the big one's Dong. So you have little Ding and big Dong. Says Paul E dangerously. I did not pick up on that, but that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, One man. of the one of the Paulie's ding dongs, killing it, dude. Yeah, Paulie's been having some fun. No, no doubt about it. As of late, here on commentary, nobody's paying attention <laughs> to these vo- voiceover, this voiceover commentary. He's getting Clearly. away with murder, and he's having fun. Clearly, no one's paying attention. I give the ding dongs credit here. They didn't look as bad in this match as they have in their other outings. Uh, one of them actually even slams the big three hundred pound Fred Avery. But there's lots of comedy, double teaming basics, and they do it better than the dynamic dudes. Yes, I said it. The ding dongs scientifically and fundamentally seem to be better than the dynamic dudes, at least as a tag team. Yeah. I even put down in my notes and it's crazy how much we think alike, but I was like, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And you kind of beat me to it. I feel like the crowd was having fun with them. At least this crowd was having fun with it. Yeah, they were, uh, they they were actually over with this crowd. They they saw them for what they were and they were having fun with it. I I, is what it, what it really came off to me was. Yeah, you can definitely see the kids, and uh, the, the kids are having fun with it. You can see some of them jumping up and down in the crowd and things like that. 
But they're trying way harder than what the dynamic dudes are. And, and they're trying to do what they can to get their shit over. It's not like they're just, this is the worst of the worst right here. They, you can easily hold your head down and just go out and sulk and look like trash. But these guys have been, what, jobbers for quite a while. And then they get handed something, at least in the NWA. And they're going out there making the best of it. I mean, they can't help but they're the ding-dongs. But they're not going to let that hinder them or try to slow them down. They're going to go out there and try to earn their respect or whatever. And I, I think they're doing Obviously, they're not the greatest. They're not very good. It's just they're trying, and that's you got to respect the hell out of that. Yeah, and the middle rope knee drop and a flying elbow smash ends this in four minutes and ten seconds. The ding-dong gets the win, and wait a minute. One of the ding-dongs, big body slam on the 300-pound Fred Avery. The other ding-dong off the top rope with a flying elbow. They're not the Rock and Roll Express. Mm, yeah, it's the Mega Powers right there. I think it's Hulk Hogan. And Randy Savage all along, they're double doing double duty. <laughs> they're the ding-dongs. Could, could it be the Mega Powers are the ding-dongs? Wouldn't that be phenomenal if they were unmasked and it wound up being Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man? Oh, Lord. You're having way too much fun with this one, man. Well, they what were having they? fun, and I had fun with this. I, I really, I can thoroughly say, I don't care. Mark it down, everyone. I had fun with this match. Seriously, wrestling and comedy spot-wise, much better than their other outings. Not that they've had many, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, there's still the ding-dongs. But I thought something like this, had they continued with this, this could have worked. I felt like they were really trying here. Not just wrestling, but they were almost Rick Steiner-minded where they were trying to come up with things that made a little bit of sense rather than just going out there and ringing bells. I mean, it's not much worse than what the Bushwhackers became. Obviously, right. we know the Sheep Herders are better <laughs> or were really good as the Sheep Herders. But the Bushwhackers was just a, a arm gimmick. And um, the Ding Dongs, if they could have latched onto something like that, that could have probably helped them. There's there's a place in this for in wrestling. It's just you can't take them serious. If you just accept them for what they are and let them go out there and do what they did here, you know, put them as the opener and the crowd will get excited a little bit and you just move on. Yeah, They're that's exactly where I would, I would stick them. I would stick them out there to warm up the crowd. They're very much a warm-up gimmick and uh, a way to get the kids into the show. So I, I think Absolutely. it could have worked after watching this particular match. This may have been able to work. But again, it's the ding-dongs, and I can't really blame anyone for uh, 86-ing this gimmick. Can't wait for that. Terry Funk promo time, another post-match promo from Baltimore. This time, Terry Funk has a bandage on his head, so at least this likely did air or was taped after the actual match in Baltimore at the pay-per-view. Funk says the belt is his. He owned it before Flair even dreamed of being world champion. He will own it. Once again, simple promo from Terry Funk there and back to the ring. It's wildfire, Tommy Rich taking on Hiron Chic, baby. Yeah, Baba. Yeah, yeah. Anybody got the medicine out there? So Sheiky baby taking on wildfire, Tommy Rich. Sheik attacks Tommy Rich once again, same way he did Rick Steiner. Eventually, Sheik does control the match and we get the same exact finish as the Rick Steiner matches. Tommy Rich now goes for the vertical, or excuse me, Iron Sheik goes for the vertical suplex on Tommy Rich. Rich turns it into a cradle, gets the win in six and a half minutes. So in the same weekend, we we see the same finish twice involving the Iron Sheik with two different wrestlers. Yeah, that's all the Sheik was going to do for somebody. We went from that entertaining match with Rick Steiner to this, and this is why I would not be excited to see Lex Luger and Tommy Rich for six months. Ooh, buddy, no thanks. Yeah, uh, clearly after watching this Tommy Rich Iron Sheik match, uh, you can really credit Rick Steiner. Not that I had any doubts anyway, but you have to really credit Rick Steiner for making that other match 
entertaining because this was the opposite of what that match was. Promo time. Woo! From the Nature Boy himself, world champion Ric Flair. He's still world champion. This is post-bash. He's bloody and misted. I love, (laughs) this is great. Ric Flair still covered in blood on his head, mist on his face, and he's cutting a promo backstage here. Really cool look. He says he's got the green from Muda and the red from Funk. He's headed to the hospital to get stitched up, but he's still the world champion. He's just getting warmed up, Terry Funk. Ric Flair sends that message. He's not done with Terry Funk quite yet. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm glad he didn't wipe his face off. A hell of a match, a hell of an angle. Just everything was perfect, it felt like. So he probably wanted to soak that one in a little bit. and It just enhanced this promo a lot. It was great. Main event time here on the main event. It's Dick Murdoch teaming with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert to take on Norman, the Lunatic, and Wild Bill Irwin. This was taped in Amarillo, Texas. I have to assume this is Murdoch's last TV match because he's already gone from the company. Murdoch winds up bringing John Ayers to ringside, the former offensive lineman from the 49ers. Ayers is from Texas, so he's getting over here, uh, pop from the crowd. And he's also the former commissioner of the UWF. Once uh, Jim Crockett purchased the UWF in 1987, they named John Ayers the on-air commissioner. For those who didn't follow the uh, final months of, of the UWF, Universal Wrestling Federation there in 87. So John Ayers is uh, familiar with the wrestling business. That's pretty cool. Though. I didn't know I didn't know he was in the UWF. That's pretty neat. So right away, Norman has issues with Wild Bill Irwin. They, they can't seem to get on the same page, and Teddy Long has to get in there and kind of smooth things over as the match gets going. Norman nails a Karachi crunch on Dick Murdoch early in the match. He goes for a second one, but Murdoch rushes out with a clothesline, takes Norman down. Murdoch with a big body slam on Norman. So Norman slammed yet again. I don't mind that he's doing it, but he's just doing it so damned often. It doesn't make it as, uh, you know, as big of a deal once, you know, when somebody's doing it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anybody's taking Norman seriously. So a body slam on him is really not going to do much, even though he is well over 400 pounds. It's not so much about getting Norman over as it is about getting the other guy over. And it's not so much about Norman's character as, as it is his, his size, in my opinion, anyway. So when I see 17 people do it, and then you know somebody else does it, it doesn't mean anything when the person you're trying to get over by doing it does it, because I, I've done seen half the roster do it. That, that was basically where I was coming from with that. But Murdoch does impress here, because not only does he slam Norman, he busts out not one, not two, but a trifecta. Three drop kicks. Uh, between Irwin and Norman by Murdoch here for his uh, Texas fans. Yeah, Murdoch was super over here. Again, kind of like Funk last week. Just awesome, man. They're eating it up, and they're really enjoying him, and uh, it's pretty cool to see. So by my clock, we were about six minutes into the match when the ring announcer announced we were ten minutes into the match, because so I can only presume that the bell rang before John Ayers was ever even escorted to ringside. So I suppose we're ten minutes deep in the match at this point. But really, six minutes of action. Eddie Gilbert winds up taking the heat. Bill Irwin misses a charge. We get a hot tag to Dick Murdoch because who else? Dick Murdoch with a brain buster on Bill Irwin to get the win. The match went 10 minutes my time. If you call it by the ring announcer's time, 14 minutes. But 10-minute match, in and out. Dick Murdoch obviously gets the big win there in, in, in his Texas. He's hometown boy. Yeah. The best part of this match, I mean, outside the crowd, the crowd is pretty cool again. But, uh... <laughs> Paulie just randomly says that Norman has the second hardest waistline in the NWA, and Lance falls for it and asks him who it is, who's first. And I thought he was just going to go on a joke, maybe make fun of Missy Hyatt or somebody, but now he says Joe Fettuccino, 
And <laughs> when I heard that, I just started dying laughing. I was like, that's that's messed up. But uh, yeah, Paulie was, like you said, he was having a blast and, they, and nobody's paying attention to what he's saying because some of this stuff probably shouldn't have made air, but it did anyway. And I'm glad it did. But it's pretty funny. Speaking of Polly, he finally shows up in the main event studio, but it's time for the show to go off the air, so he escapes discussing the Great American Bash pay-per-view. When Jim Ross asks him about it, Heyman says he, he basically he's developed early Alzheimer's. It runs in his family. It's not something to joke about nowadays, but that was it was comedy back in 1989, folks, I suppose. And we close the show with the Bash highlights once again. Love the pyro, love the entrances, great stuff there. So Polly dangerously kills it again. And, and just in reference real quick to Joe Pettacino, I didn't note it, but I do know in this upcoming episode of the Power Hour, Jim Cornette takes a shot at Pettacino as well. And I, I wish I could remember what he said, but, but I know he does. So uh, Polly wasn't the only one having fun with Joe Pettacino. Well, this is 1980s. I mean, this is what you did to people back then. It was considered okay. So I mean, that's, that's the way I grew up. <laughs> I mean, I get, just, I everything that. was all in good fun, I and nobody that. didn't take anything too. so seriously. I mean, Paulie's been making fun of Pedicino for for weeks, if not months, now uh, here and there. So, so I mean, yeah, I, I don't think they're taking shots at him. I, I don't think Cornette ever had a uh, crossword with Pedicino. I've heard Cornette speak fairly highly of Pedicino, at least as a human being. He just said maybe Pedicino thought he knew a little more about the business than he actually knew, but he I, he seemed to think he was a pretty good guy. So I think they're just having fun. Trying to get a pop out of Pedicino, probably, would be my guess. That makes sense. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. So we move into the weekend of August 4th, and with that, I had enough, Steve. Uh, You know, some of these shows that are out there, these other versions of, of these shows, they're missing important pieces or matches from the events. And I said, you know, just for this, at least for this week, I'm going to dig into my storage. And that's what I did. I went right into the vault. I call it the vault. It's my, my storage room. Opened up a, uh, a box of tapes, looked around, and lo and behold, there were tapes here from August 1989. I converted the entire weekend, or at least four out of five shows, from the weekend of August 4th, 1989. That includes the Power Hour Worldwide the World Championship Wrestling Program, and the main event. These are all complete, all with commercial. well, almost all of them with commercials even intact as well. So it was a lot of fun going through the commercials as much as it was <laughs> taking notes on these shows. We're doing the Power Hour from August 4th, taped back on July 31st, New Orleans Municipal Auditorium, so it was taped after the bash. Everything's relevant now, at least here on the Power Hour. We kick things off with Eddie Gilbert, along with Missy Hyatt. He's taking on the Bounty Hunter here. And the ring announcer misses Missy Hyatt. And Jim Ross, right on commentary, he says he thinks this ring announcer has spent too much time fishing in the bayou to miss Missy. And uh, how could you miss Missy here? Missy out here with a short white skirt. And she has to be careful all the match. She keeps trying to hike it down just a little bit. Even when when Eddie tries to help her up onto the apron, she basically lowers down to her knees (laughs) before she exposes herself there to the fans in attendance. 
Yeah, she. it was short. Holy, holy cow. So as the match gets going, we see Rick Steiner wind up at ringside, and he comes down with a bag of popcorn. He begins eating popcorn with Missy Hyatt during the match. The bounty hunter dominates Eddie Gilbert early on with some wear down holds, but was there ever any doubt? The hot shot ends it. Eddie Gilbert gets the win in eight minutes. Rick Steiner in the ring to greet Eddie afterwards and even offers him some popcorn. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie takes a handful, takes a bite of popcorn after the match in celebration. Yeah, he's also on the outside trying to lift up Missy's skirt. <laughs> so that definitely, like, there's a, the camera's on it. He's trying to lift up her skirt. That would not fly today. Yeah, I don't know how Eddie felt. <laughs> I wonder how Eddie felt seeing Ray do some of the cared. stuff he's doing with Missy. He I don't think Eddie cared. But, uh, <laughs> it, it was very entertaining. Rick's, like, we talk about it all the time, man. He's like the MVP of the NWA so far, to be honest with you. And he's so damn entertaining. I can't wait for him to be on my TV every week. This was no different. And the other thing, too, his head strap was on sideways or something. Like, the earpiece yeah. was on his forehead. Right. And he, he looked ridiculous. But, I mean, he still kicked your ass. And that's what's cool about Rick Steiner. And, ah, uh-uh, it's WNN time again with Gordon Sully. He announces that Ricky's steamboat is gone from the NWA. Of course, he doesn't go into the politics and the money and all that situation. He simply states that Ricky's steamboat needs foot surgery. And that's why he's on his way out of the NWA. I do remember Steamboat getting some type of uh, surgery done in the latter half of 89. I don't think it was anything super major, but I do remember him wind up, he does wind up getting foot surgery while he takes time away from the business here. But that's really not the reason he left, but that's how Gordon Sully sells it here. So we learn here first on the Power Hour that Ricky Steamboat's gone. That would contradict what we would see here with some of the other weekend shows. Gordon also mentions that Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard have captured the WWF World Tag Team Championships from Demolition. And Eric Embry is in a feud, of course, with P.Y. Chu High, Phil Hickerson, down in Dallas over the ownership of World Class Championship Wrestling. Of course, they wind up having a match, and uh, the World Class promotion is renamed the USWA. And here's a look at this week's top 10. It's changed all around, Steve. A lot of names missing from here. Everything's been jumbled around, and... Well, let's take a look at it. Number 10 now, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Number 9, Wildfire Tommy Rich. 8 and 7 are Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, the skyscrapers. Number 6, holy shit, where'd they come up with this one? Mike Rotunda, number 6, feuding with Dr. Death, who is number 5. Number 4, The Great Muda. 3 is Terry Funk. 2, TV champ, a former TV champion, Sting. And Lex Luger finally gets his wish. He is the number 1 contender to Ric Flair's World Heavyweight Championship. All sorts of new names here. Sid, Spivey, Rotunda. I think Eddie Gilbert had been bumped out. I'm not positive on that. But we do see a lot of new names here. And gone are the likes of Ricky Steamboat, for obvious reasons. Ranger Ross, uh, Dick Murdoch, who went away last week. And then uh, Terry Gordy also bumped off the top ten because he's on his way back to Japan. Yeah, this list is a lot more believable than what they have had out there for the most part. Sully puts over the fact that Lex Luger claims to be the total package. Well, with Ricky Steamboat on his way out of the NWA, Sully has to sell someone as Luger's next opponent, so he sells Wildfire Tommy Rich. He claims that Tommy Rich was originally the total package. Now, I'm sorry, but Tommy Rich never had a body like Lex Luger or pretty much anyone else that had a body in professional wrestling. Now, I'm not trying to shit all over Tommy Rich. I was a huge fan, huge fan of his Georgia Championship Wrestling stuff and just a big fan of Tommy Rich overall. Not necessarily here in 1989, not at this point, and certainly not here in a feud with Lex Luger, it's pretty immediate that Sully's basically being told to 
we, you know, Steamboat's out. We got to come up with something. So they come up with Tommy Rich here to fill the void, even if it's short term. That's how quick they're replacing Steamboat. Show must go on, man. I mean, that's how it feels, and it makes complete sense. So I get it. I don't know if Tommy Rich is the best decision, but it is what it is. I mean, you look around, I don't know who else you're going to put in there. You got Sting, you know, with Flair. You got, you really don't have any more baby faces. It seems like the Steiners maybe in that position, but they're a tag team. I just don't know who else is a top single that you could throw out there that's not doing something besides Tommy Rich. Back to the ring, it's Scott Steiner taking on Rip Morgan of the New Zealand Militia. Back and forth inside and outside of the ring. Morgan gets some generic heat spots in, but it's a Frankensteiner roll-up. Scotty catches Rip Morgan under the underarms, and he rolls him up in sort of a Frankensteiner position. Winds up looking like a Thez press by the time they finish the move, and Scott Steiner gets the win in about nine minutes. If the move was a mistake, and in fact, I'm assuming it was because he's already been hitting the Frankensteiner. But if the move was a mistake, Scott covered it well here. He even grabbed Morgan by the head and kind of tucked his chin as they rolled through into a pinning combination. Yeah, it looked pretty good. I think Ross even got really excited. Like, what a tremendous maneuver here by Scott Steiner. As what a maneuver. He did the Fra- as if he did the Frankensteiner or something. Right. And, um, but he did, clearly didn't. But yeah, he did a hell of a job of covering it up. And we move on to the fan scan camera. And what this is, is they basically interview a wrestling fan, which is just a bad idea, especially in 1989. And they basically let the fans say whatever they want. We get this, <laughs> we get this dude in a pink suit jacket and he rips off his pink suit jacket and he's cutting a promo and Flair is the best thing going today. Woo, screw you, Terry Funk. Yeah, he basically just rips off a flair promo, and it's hilarious. He's trying to, he's about to undo the tie and rip off the shirt, but he, I think he's afraid to ruin his shirt and tie, so he wasn't <laughs> going to do it. And he stopped, and he's like, uh, "I'm the best thing going today." It, it was pretty funny. At least he, you know, put some effort into it instead of being shy. Like he, he did a pretty good job compared to some of these other ones. Oh, this guy wanted to get himself over. He felt like a, a local know, indie manager or something. <laughs> yeah, he definitely wanted to get himself over. It's time once again for Funk's Grill and back in Funk's Grill already. Norman the Lunatic, and this time he has Teddy Long with him. Terry Funk rocking a a tuxedo this week. Teddy Long reminds Terry Funk they do not want to hear the L word. They don't want to hear the lunatic. He wants the fans to start chanting. They really don't. I love the line here. Terry Funk tells Norman he looks like John Belushi on a two-week binge. I don't know how much the Turner suit's like that, but I, I loved it myself. And I even had to stop for a minute and process Belushi's face in my mind for a moment. And I'm like, holy shit, he kind of does. So yeah, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I pop. <laughs> so Norman doesn't like to be called the lunatic. So Terry Funk offers to change Norman's name if he can pass the test. And there just happens to be a win-loser draw board here <laughs> standing right next to them on Funk's Grill. And Norman's going to draw pictures. And if Norman can guess them right, he will give Norman a new name. And Funker draws a fish. I guess it was a fish. And Norman guesses right. And Terry Funk renames him. Not Norman the Lunatic. He is just simply Norman the Maniac. And uh, Norman goes onto the board. He starts writing, not E equals MC square, but 2 equals MC square. Punk calls it pie equals MC square. Another funny line here is Teddy Long tells Funk that a pie is round, not square. A cornbread is square. And I waited for Funk's reply, and he agrees. He says, 
you know what? You're right. A really silly Southern joke there, but I got it and I thought it was fun. And Funk even does this take to the camera where he breaks the fourth wall like a, well, I'll be damned. Reminded me of like a a Sesame Street panning at the camera at the end of a, a segment when you get made the fool. It was just really silly stuff. And I was like, Jesus Christ, how can I take Terry Funk seriously in his feud with Ric Flair and the same time he's doing these comedy bits with Norman on TV at the same exact time? Terry Funk and he's a jack of all trades. I think you just accept him for what he is. and This is a part of it, but it was also funny as hell too. He asked if he could uh, take Norman out to his ranch and making him a foreman for $5, $5. an hour. <laughs> Long says, no, that's not good enough. And Funk says, how about two fifty for Long and two fifty for Norman? And Long's like, sure, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I thought that was funny too, but yeah, it was all right. Uh, that was the best part to me was the $5 bit. I don't know. Funk's grill kind of it feels like it's already ran its course and kind of needs to go away because it's just they're not using it for what it needs to be used for. And uh, I feel like it's a waste of time. Yeah, they're just they really aren't doing anything with it. Main event of the power hour and what look at this match on paper. It's the Terry's Terry Gordy teaming with Terry Funk managed by Gary Hart to take on Dr. Death, Steve Williams and Sting. What a tag team match. Yeah, what a this match is uh, on paper. I think I sent that to you in a message. Like, holy shit, we get this as a main event. I gotta ask though, dude, did you see the fan that was just starts dancing in front of Funk and Gordy? Like, uh, he's like shaking his ass, like because the the guardrail is like separated from the first row of seats. There's like a huge space right there, and this fat ass fan just gets up and he's like shaking his belly, like rubbing his belly, and then all of a sudden he turns around and starts shaking his ass and. Funk walks off and he's like, F you, Funk. <laughs> I-, I didn't know if you picked up on this, but Funk's just standing. He's about to, and then when he says F you, Funk, Funk damn near jumps the guardrail about to piece the shit out of this dude. But he's, it's weird. Like, this dude is, I don't know if he, and Ross even comments that I think that dude's had too many, too many trips to the concession stand or something like that. So he, he acknowledges, man, this crowd is insane. Where are we? You say we're in New Orleans for this one? I know which fan you're talking about because uh, they tape another show this week uh, as part of this same night, and the fan pops up again doing more goofy stuff, and I do have it in my notes because Jim Ross refers to him as uh, Norman's roommate in the sanatorium. <laughs> that's great. I didn't pick up on that one, but that's hilarious. <laughs> it was very fitting. Yeah, this dude's going way over the top. <laughs> yeah, way over the top. Holy cow, man. Back to the match, the heels try and corner Sting early on. They even put him on the floor and try to keep him in their corner, but to no avail, Sting escapes time and time again. Dr. Death tags in and starts plowing over both of the Terries, at which point the fans begin to chant, Funk ain't shit. Funk ain't shit. And yeah, this is, we're in New Orleans, and welcome to New Orleans here. Funk ain't shit, as a chant in 1989. <laughs> uh, it gets even worse later. As the match continues, Sting winds up pile-driving Terry Funk, hits him with his own finisher. Sting goes for a, well, what I would call a, like a leg straddle where you typically put your opponent's throat over the middle rope, run off the ropes, and then land with the back of your thigh on the back of their head. I really know the name of it. Big Boss Man did it quite often. Sting tries this move here on Terry Funk on the top rope. I've never seen that before. But Terry Funk winds up moving out of the way, and Sting straddles himself, goes nuts first, onto the top rope and injures himself there and the heels take over. It was very different. Hadn't seen it before. Yeah. It looked really cool. Just one of those things Sting could do before the injury that you just take for granted. Or a flying leap almost mid ring and winds up landing 
right. <laughs> with his chunk across the top rope. Really good stuff from Stinger. But the match continued on. The baby faces wind up taking back over, and that's when Gary Hart runs in, interferes, causing a disqualification. The baby faces get the win. 11 minutes, 45 seconds. Then we get a great visual. It's Dr. Death press slams. Terry Gordy presses Terry Gordy in the air. At the same time, Sting has Gary Hart hoisted in the air with a double choke, and they both do it, hold them both up there at the same exact time for the camera, right into the camera. Thought that was a great visual there. And then Funk, back in the ring, strikes Stinger with the branding iron. Down goes Sting. Dr. Death winds up taking the weapon, the branding iron, clearing the ring, runs Funk and Gordy out of the ring. That's when the other Freebirds, Hayes and Gordy, or excuse me, Hayes and Garvin wind up at ringside. So it looks like we're going to have a four-on-two situation here. But the, the baby faces look ready, but we wind up going to commercials. So who knows what the hell happened? Yeah, hard telling. That, this is another great main event. We knew we wasn't going to get a finish with those guys involved, but it was it was awesome. And the crowd was eating it up, man, the whole match. They had some awesome chants going. I thought I felt like these NWA crowds just really escalated right before the bash, at the bash, clearly, and then now after the bash. I know this stuff, some of this stuff was taped prior to, but this one wasn't. And man, these crowds are hot, and they're buying everything that's been going on. So um, I know that's a big, big thing for people that are watching to see how the crowds reacted to what's going on in the ring because that kind of sells you, okay, yeah, this is big time. If these people in the crowd are doing this, then I need to pay attention and, and watch and start following and um just awesome stuff man yeah had we got a finisher i would have been shocked out of my mind i went into this not expecting a finish so i took it for what it was and i just tried to enjoy the action which i did really fun stuff here and really cool aftermath as well uh the only thing that that i when i saw the birds come to ringside Hayes and garvin i only thought to myself boy i'd love to see them two get in the ring with doc and sting uh, i would love to see that title change yeah i'm with you man uh, the birds are kind of holding those bells hostage. I think something better. <laughs> That's a good way to team, put it. Better team, a better team needs to have those because, I mean, a lot of your champions right now are really hot. Freebirds are just flat, I feel like. You know, the TV title's held up. Luger's on a roll. Flair's back, world champ. It just seems like all those are on the up upward trajectory, and like, it seems like the tag belts just nobody cares about. And they were hyping it all episode, but in case you didn't know, Steve, the Power Hour next week will be on Saturday night at 8.05 following the World Championship Wrestling Program. I didn't know that. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> they, only, they only said it 46 times. They only put a scroller at the bottom of the screen 26 times. Uh, <laughs> they only showed it during the bumpers uh, 11 times. So, yeah, if you didn't know it by the end of this show, then, you, you know, you, you deserve to miss it. And you'll definitely know it by the end of uh, Saturday night if you didn't know it at the end of the Power Hour. Good Lord. I don't know who's in charge of the wrestler of the week as far as creating the the image or making the pick or how this really works, but it feels to me like someone female in the office is the one that makes a decision here based on the comments Jim Cornette and Jim Ross make to close the show. This week's wrestler of the week on the Power Hour is Lex Luger, and Jim Cornette says, I wish I knew who had a hand in making this decision. And Jim Ross said, oh, we should go undercover. I really like to go under the covers when I dig for information. It felt like he was alluding to a female. <laughs> so Jim Ross, really pervy here. I don't really know what he was referencing, but it was clearly sexual, and it clearly involved a female of some type. He's probably hoping it was Missy Hyatt <laughs> making these picks. We move on to Saturday, August 5th, NWA Worldwide. We don't have pro, but I do have Worldwide. 
and we taped in Fort Worth. So this was actually taped before the Bash pay-per-view. We kick things off with a Lex Luger promo. Lex Luger addresses Ricky's Steamboat and a rematch that has apparently been signed. No disqualification. Let's hear what the total package has to say. When you know you're the best, when you say you're the best, jealousy builds, resentment grows. And what it's grown is like a cancerous tumor, and it has spread like wildfire to the very hierarchy of the NWA. And it has a rotten stench from a long ways off. And it's a conspiracy between the NWA and Ricky Steamboat, because I'm the man in this sport. I'm the man to beat. And they're trying to find a way to do it. Nobody dictates to me. But you see, you performed a hoodlum act in Baltimore. And what's your reward? A no DQ match for my title? Well, now you've got my back to the wall, Ricky Steamboat. And I've become a dangerous man. And what it comes down to is this. Breaking the rules goes both ways, Ricky. And you're going to have to make me a dead man before you take this belt off of my waist. Somebody's going to get hurt. Production is really dropping the ball post-bash here. Very sloppy shit these past two weeks. Doc and Rotunda issues last week. Sting and Muda issues last week. Now this week, the Power Hour. Gordon Soli announces Ricky Steamboat's gone from the company. But here on Worldwide, Luger, and, and eventually you'll see later in the show, Ricky Steamboat cut promos discussing the upcoming no disqualification match that has apparently been signed. Yeah, it's, it seems like Power like, I think Power Hour is on a different recording schedule, maybe. Uh, that, that's really the it's only more way to recent. Yeah, it. it's always more recent. Yeah, yeah. So this stuff's probably been in the can for three or four weeks, and they totally forgot about it because supposedly so much is going on, and I'm sure they are busy. But man, come on! If you know somebody's leaving the company, why the hell are you going to cut a few a promo or leave it in there to where even though you know it's not going to happen? I mean, we talked about this on the Monday Warfare show when Luger jumped ship to the WCW. He shot a big angle where he got taken out by Mabel. And Vince and company had to go back and forth on if they wanted to air it to kind of devalue him or just cut it out completely to act like he never existed. And they went ahead and just removed it. So why can't you do that here? Like, okay, we don't need to see a hear a Lex Luger promo. We don't need to hear a Ricky Steamboat promo because Gordon Soley already told us he's already gone. And now Luger's in a feud with Tommy Rich, according to Gordon Soley. So just no continuity. It's all over the map. And it almost feels like you don't even really need to pay attention to whatever the hell they're saying because it probably doesn't apply to anything. Yeah, and not that it matters, but we will hear Ricky Steamboat's rebuttal later in the show. And props to Luger for using the word hoodlum. That's the first time I've ever heard the word hoodlum used in wrestling. (laughs) Never thought I'd hear Ricky Steamboat be referred to as a hoodlum. I do want to ask, how hard would it be? Like, now we know, like, what happened where they're going, where they've been, why this is happening. Like now, because it's 31 years old, could you imagine watching this live week after week? And you're like, oh, I thought Steamboat was gone. Why is he cutting this promo? Oh, he is gone. Or, you know, why is Luger fighting Tommy Rich all of a sudden? Like, could you imagine having to deal with this week over week after week, show after show, and having no clue? It's not like you can just hop on the internet and find out what's going on with Ricky Steamboat. You just take it at their word, and that's what they—that's what's happening. So that's pretty much like, what, you, could, what you, all I, you can do is just take them at their word. And oh, well, this changed. All right, if you want to, if you want to be a fan of the NWA, just gotta go with the flow, I, I suppose. I couldn't imagine watching 
I'd be confused as hell, and I would be like, I mean, screw this. They can't even keep up with what they're doing. It's Scott Steiner in the ring taking on Craig Whitford, who is just absolutely terrible. Scotty's accompanied the ring by brother Rick and Missy Hyatt. During the match, Rick Steiner peeks under Missy Hyatt's skirt, and Jim Ross, once again, another big line. Jim, that Missy Hyatt, she sure brings motivation to new heights. So another Jim Ross line there. Now yeah, he F- also said uh, Rick is having fun over there with Missy, and who wouldn't? Like this dude. <laughs> now, in regards to the action in this one, and this goes on repeatedly here this week, and it's the Fort Worth tapings, but overall it's the, really the Texas tapings. I'm not sure where they got their job guys out of, and for people that aren't familiar, typically a lot of job guys were guys that were training under a specific trainer, a former wrestler, a current wrestler, sometimes somebody that was really a nobody but they had a troop of guys that they would send to go do jobs. So these guys would typically travel together, or at least they knew one another. They, they were trained under the same roof, whatever. Here it's very evident that every single one of these guys had no, it's, it's not some of them. It's not, you had a bad one or a bit, two of them. Every single one of these guys, and we'll see a few more here for sure, have no business in a ring light, no business in any ring right now. They're, they're, they don't even know the basic fundamentals. They're not even really sure of how to bump yet. And it's, it can be very dangerous for the other guy when they're trying to execute maneuvers and these guys have no idea what they're doing. And it happens over and over here on these Texas tapings. Very scary at times. It's a very dangerous thing. And Craig Whitford here, uh, no different. And Scotty Steiner tries to end this one once he realizes uh, Whitford screws up two or three things. And if it had been anyone, anyone other than Scott Steiner, I don't know if he could have finished this the way he did because there were a couple of moves that could have been completely screwed up if Steiner didn't have that freak strength that he had to just follow through with the move anyway, including the finish, the rolling belly to belly. Whitford just kind of stood there and Steiner had to force him over, got the win in two minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, it was really sloppy, that belly to belly. Yeah, these jobbers were definitely different and uh, they suck. Where's Lee Scott at when you need him? Yeah, Lee Scott didn't make the uh, trip to Texas, so he's not in, anywhere to be seen here, at least uh, in these two weeks of TV, though he is at the final bash. And we'll get to that when we get when we get there at the end of the show. A bunch of pre-tapes follow the Scott Steiner match. It's while Bill Irwin rambles on about absolutely nothing other than it's a rematch with Brian Pillman. And uh, by the end of this promo, I, I came to the realization that Bill Irwin may talk worse than he wrestles. Yeah, I think he said he's going to take his own self out or something. I think he <laughs> meant to say... Pillman and he says Irwin or something there, but yeah, terrible. The Sting promo is actually from the insert from last week's World Championship Wrestling during his Sting squash match. He wants the rematch with Muda. Duh. Another Terry Funk promo, another pre-tape. He wants the world title from Ric Flair. Nothing to see here either. And it's back to the ring with Terry Funk, who wrestles another one of these guys I was referring to that don't really seem to know what they're doing. Chico Cabela. Terry Funk right away with a beat down on Chico, just rights and lefts, rights and lefts, right into a pile driver. And I couldn't believe this. They go to the floor and the jobber no-sells Terry Funk's finisher, the, the pile driver, and he whips Terry Funk into the guardrail. And I'm not sure this is what he was supposed to do because Terry Funk almost uses the railing as ring ropes because he bounces off the guardrail and runs right back at the job guy with the clothesline on the floor and hits a second pile driver to get the win in a minute and seven seconds. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell was going on there. Like, you really kick out of the pile driver. I don't know if, like, I kind of turned my head away for a second, so I didn't know if Funk maybe picked him up or wanted him to go outside and fight, beat his ass out there, kind of do the thing that he's been doing. 
But then I saw him reverse the Irish whip, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what is this guy doing? He's not realizing he's in the dude. He's in the ring with the dude that's fighting the world champion. You don't make him look bad at all, and you definitely don't know sell his finisher. What the hell's your problem? Yeah, just some weird stuff going on here with the job guys in Texas. And post match, Terry Funker attacks a Japanese cameraman just for the hell of it. Knocks him over, plows him down on the ground. <laughs> the cameraman sells it pretty good. I'm sure it was one of the cameramen. Funk knew pretty well from Japan, all Japan. So. Uh, just he had some fun there, took some liberties and had some fun there with the camera guy. I'm sure the the story was all over the magazines in, in Japan. Fan scan time again. Boy, I, I'm already getting sick of these. And we're only like a week into this. A fan is mad that Terry Funk could kill someone with that branding iron. Well, yeah, that's the entire point. <laughs> they have no clue. Rick Flair promo, and he's cleaned up now. He's in a suit, but he's still got that bandage on his head. Funk said he could do it all by himself, but now he has Gary Hart. So what does that say about Terry Funk as a man? Rick Flair will be the victor at any cost. That's what I got out of this promo. Yeah, pretty much. One thing that kind of was interesting, you did say that being world champion is secondary to being the victor at any cost. It just goes to show how bad he wants to kick Terry Funk's ass because the belt, it means something to him, but his career means more and funk tried to end that. So he wants blood. And I thought that was pretty good. We move on to world tag team champions of the free birds. It's Garvin and Hayes because Gordy's pretty much gone for the most part at this point. And they're taking on Davey and Johnny rich, the party patrol. We get an insert promo from Jim Cornette talking about his midnight express, wanting to make a run at the tag team titles makes sense. But unfortunately we're already moving away from that feud. We're moving into a free birds Steiner brothers feud. And the Midnights are going to be lumped in, at least on the house shows, with the skyscrapers, which Cornette was not a big fan of. They blame that as a Jim Hurd thing because he really didn't see anything in the Midnight Express. So he wanted to use them as a way to put over the skyscrapers. I don't see those matches being very pretty. I can't imagine. They're probably terrible. And, of course, the Freebirds here in this match, they won't sell for either Rich, Johnny, or Davey. Johnny makes the hot tag to Davey Rich and Garvin almost immediately... DDT's Davey Rich off the hot tag. And the Freebirds get the win in 3 minutes and 39 seconds. Just more shit from the Freebirds. Pretty much. They think they're better than they really are. and Nobody's telling them differently yet. So, <sighs> It's more Pettacino knows discussing the fallout from the Great American Bash as we move into the next match. Just yet another Texas jobber, Dr. Death, taking on Colin TNT. Or sack. At least that's the way he was announced by the ring announcer, TNT. Uh, guy looked like about a 350-pound tub of lard to me. Orsack attacks Doc, uh, but Doc forces him to take a clothesline bump because, once again, it's a job guy that doesn't seem to know how to take a bump. Dude doesn't even know how to hit the ropes. I don't know if you really paid attention. Doc whipped him into the ropes, and he almost stops, looks at the ropes, tries to figure out which way to turn, leans into the ropes carefully, and, <laughs> and bounces back towards Dr. Death here. My notes right here state, who trained these jobbers? I saw it last week with Pillman. We saw it with Scott Steiner. Now it's with Dr. Death. And this isn't even the worst of it. The worst of it's coming up next. Maybe the best of it's coming up next. <laughs> we'll get to that in the, in the next <laughs> match. Oklahoma Stampede, 350-pound guy. Match went about 45 seconds. And I felt this is almost like that Pillman match last week. I felt like Dr. Death saw what he got. And the minute he saw what he got, he's like, all right, we're going home. <laughs> and... The Oklahoma Stampede does it 45 seconds. What's that? I, I can't say I blame him. And that was pretty impressive, too, man. That oh, dude yeah. was huge. And he just picked him up and did the thump, pretty much, the Stampede, and ended it. 
I can't say I blame him, though. Like, if you stay out there too long, you're just going to get hurt. We get a promo with Teddy Long, and it's actually uh, the insert promo that Long had cut in uh, last week's show, hyping up the skyscrapers coming for Ric Flair. So we're seeing insert promos shown as regular promos, and regular promos reused as insert promos. So they're not even different uh, in a lot of points in these shows. So very lazy at this point. I'm sure they come out of this, but very lazy production coming out of the greatest pay-per-view, certainly uh, up until this point in the history of the company. Yeah, it's almost like they're wrapping up the Bash tour and things like that. It just feels like their their mind is elsewhere. You can really tell. You can really, really tell that they're doing something. They're they're focused on other things besides production on these shows. That's that, that's for sure. And we get another squash match with more Texas job guys, and I can't wait to talk about this one here. It's the skyscrapers taking on. A guy by the name of Avalanche. Now, how often do you know a job guy gets a name like that? He's called the Avalanche, and he looks to be about 350 pounds of chewed up bubble gum. And what I mean by that is he's one of those types that don't carry their weight too well. Not that you can really carry 350 pounds well, but there's two different types. There's that solid build, and then there's a guy like this where if you touch him, they jiggle for five minutes, and that's what the Avalanche looked like here. And his partner is Mike Blackwell who looks to be like a fairly in shape dude. He has some decent little bit of abs going there. Looks like a legit biker. It looks like he wore his biker leather jacket to the ring here. And this guy, boy, oh boy, Steve. <laughs> I thought the dude looked great. I thought he had a great look. And I thought, uh, well, he didn't do himself any favors. Absolutely not. not. Not for what happens here, but I thought he had a really good look and I feel like he could have been something or tried to be something. They could have gave him a gimmick. And working, but yeah, he basically ruined that with this performance. Yeah, and uh, we're going to get into that right now because most of these job guys, these Texas job guys we've been talking about, they don't know how to hit the ropes. They don't know how to take bumps. But old, what's what's his name? Let me scroll back up here. But old Blackwell here, Mike Blackwell, he doesn't seem to know how to sell. And what I mean by that is every single move that's done to him, he pops straight up. And I don't mean he gets up. I mean he pops up. I mean he takes the bump and he's back on his feet in a split second. He knows sells everything. Here are my notes for this match. Dan Spivey, belly to belly, pop up. Sid Vicious with a clothesline. He runs into Sid so hard, he knocks Sid off balance, and Sid takes a bump while he's clotheslining the job guy. Oh, and the job guy pops up. Dan Spivey has had enough by this point. He sees what they have. He gives the guy a gut wrench, but he doesn't even take the back bump with it. Just gives him a throw, a gut wrench throw. The guy pops up. At this point, Sid sees what's going on, so he never leaves the ring. The skyscrapers, both skyscrapers, stay in the ring for the entire match. Skyscrapers whip, <laughs> whip this uh, Blackwell guy off the ropes. Double clothesline. He gets up. Spike powerbomb. The dude actually starts to sit up after the spike powerbomb, and Dan Spivey covers him rather than putting his foot on his chest like they typically do. Dan Spivey actually covers this guy, and he must make a threat to him to stay down. And the uh, skyscrapers get the win here in 45 seconds. And Avalanche comes back in. He missed all of this because he got knocked out of the ring at the beginning of the match. He comes back in and immediately gets tossed back outside. I think that was a show of not necessarily respect, but the skyscrapers weren't in it for Avalanche. So they were trying to do him a favor by keeping him out of it. And this Blackwell guy gets up from the, <laughs> the spike powerbomb. He gets thrown out of the ring, lands on his feet, no sells the spike powerbomb. And, oh, my God, the referee starts to raise Sid and Dan's hands, and they both just dart away from the referee 
and Dan jumps out one side of the ring. Sid jumps out the other to make sure that this guy does not get away. He's on the outside, and I don't think he was running. And Spivey's on the apron, and Spivey just takes a fucking boot to this guy's face from the apron, and this guy swats it away. And here comes Sid around the corner, and at this point, Teddy Long's got wind of what's going on because Teddy Long is working the gimmick during the match. But by this point, even Teddy Long knows what's going on. So Dan Spivey takes a wild swing at this guy, and this guy is so lucky that he's not the same height as Spivey. He doesn't really duck it, but he just leans in, and Spivey just misses taking his head off. Spivey winds up grabbing the guy in sort of a front face lock, and Sid lays in some legit shoot punches to the rib cage of this guy. And you can hear Teddy Long visibly on camera saying, kick his ass. So, yeah, yeah. it was, it was uh, very intriguing. And Jim Ross is like, well, let's get out of here. So uh, this dude, yeah. man, this dude was something else. He had a lot of balls, or he was a really big idiot. To be honest with you, man, I think he's one of those guys that thinks he's tougher than he probably is. Uh, he wants to show people, oh, look at me, this, who gives a shit? It's the skyscrapers. I can take this. And he kind of went into business for himself. And you can't do that stuff. You're getting paid to do a job. Do your damn job and go home. I mean, go out there, show yourself to be decent. And you never know. Man, you had a good look. You could have been something. You could have got offered something. But clearly, he went the wrong way about it. And um, Sid laid in some rights and some lefts on the gut. And hopefully... <laughs> It taught him a lesson, and I doubt we see him again. He probably kicked his ass. They probably kicked his ass back in the back, too. Um, I have no doubt that this guy was kicked out of the arena and and never to return. I'm very curious who trained this troop of job guys. I really am. Someone down there in Texas. I'm going to look into that. I'm I'm, I'm honestly going to look into these guys' names. One of them surely made it at least small time in the Texas area to the point where maybe – I can trace who, who was in charge of uh, responsible for training these this train wreck uh, of talent here. The Von Erichs, they are not. Absolutely not. And it was funny, too, because Norman was at ringside for this match, but given the circumstances that were going on, we never even really got Norman on camera, which is a good thing. But at the same time, it's just uh, what a train wreck of a match here, this guy. Yeah, dude, just what an idiot. So I know you said you fast forward most of the commercials here, but I have to mention real quick, just this one commercial that pops up in between these next two <laughs> matches between the skyscrapers and the next match. This is the Bill Cosby and the bond, the Theo and the Rudy and the Burr. And he's, you know what Cosby's telling you guys right now? Bill Cosby's teaching you right now here back in 1989 to say no to drugs, kids. Uh, it's not even to the kids, man. It's to the parents. I'm talking to the kids. I'm talking to the kids. No, he's talking to the everybody in the world besides me. Oh, flabble, flabble. Especially <laughs> telling a story out Sunday afternoon and you're sitting down watching the football game and you tell your son to go fetch you a beer out of the fridge and you shouldn't get them involved in your drinking habits and things like that. That's rich coming from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't drink and don't do drugs, everyone. <laughs> Says the says oh, the no. Doctor of Cause. You've heard of the Wizard of Oz? He's the Doctor of Cause. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's, it's, the irony in some of this stuff is crazy. Phenomenal. It's like Jake the Snake on those old WWF magazines, Say No to Drugs. Get real. <laughs> Jim Neidhart. Back to the ring. It's the New Zealand Militia taking on the Ding Dongs in the Ding Dongs' first competitive match. Jim Ross says some people love the Ding Dongs and some people hate 
the Ding Dongs. I feel like Jim Ross is in the latter half of that <laughs> since he opened up and mentioned that right on commentary here. Yeah, he's definitely telling you which way he feels, and the way he says it is uh, clearly he doesn't like the Ding Dongs. We get another fan scam. This time it's the kids. These fan scans, uh, this time the kids want to know which one's Ding and which one's Dong. They think the Ding Dongs are funny. And Ding, one of the Dings, I'm not sure which one, or one of the Ding Dongs, uh, landed an O'Connor roll on Jack Victory, or they try to. They run into the ropes, but Victory ducks his head between the ropes, and Rip Morgan's supposed to hit the Ding Dong in the head with his canteen, but misses, mostly misses anyway, but the Ding Dong sells it anyway. Jacko Victory makes the cover. And the New Zealand Militia beat the Ding Dongs. They are no longer undefeated. Match went four minutes and 20 seconds. That's 420, which is what Jim Hurd was smoking when he came up with this idea. Yeah, he's not wrong. The only thing I got to say about this, dude, I love the U chant that Rip Morgan and Jack Victory do. It just sounds awesome. I enjoy it. That's the only redeeming quality <laughs> I find out of the Militia. That and the Boomerang. I enjoy when Boomerangs can be used in matches. <laughs> More Pettacino knows, more bash fallout, and back to the ring. It's Wild Bill Irwin taking on Flying Brian Pillman. This is billed as a rematch from the pay-per-view, but it actually happens before the pay-per-view. It was taped in, in uh, Texas, so that part of the bash tour took place before the pay-per-view. So while it's technically the rematch on TV, it's actually their first match in real life. And Bill Irwin eventually gets some heat here, and this is not as good or as long as the pay-per-view version. Brian Pillman gets the win with a crucifix out of nowhere. Five minutes and 52 seconds. Yeah, I've always loved the crucifix pin. I think it looked great. And uh, when it's done properly and they just go right over with it, it's just awesome. Yeah, really a nothing match. We closed the show with a Ricky Steamboat promo, and I actually recorded that. I'm going to play the uh, soundbite here in a second. The only reason I recorded it is it's the last time we hear, sadly, we hear from Ricky Steamboat until he returns to the company a couple years from now. Ricky Steamboat cutting a promo here. The no disqualification match will happen, or will it? Lex Luger, you get on television, you tell everybody that you, United States heavyweight champion, the total package, going around telling them that I am your champion in Baltimore. I had thought I had everything ironed out, all the rough edges smoothed out. But just before they rang the bell, just as we were getting ready to have that match, you backed out and you said, Steamboat, I'm not getting in that ring unless you waive that no disqualification. I'm not having a no disqualification match with you. They brought the promotion down to the ring. I wanted you any way I could take you. Luger, bring yourself in the ring and bring that belt. But this time when we meet, this time when we meet, I have ironed out all the rough edges. A no disqualification match is going to take place. You don't blast me from behind with a chair. You don't clothesline me out of the blue. This dragon's breathing fire, brother, and he's going to be breathing it down you. So bring yourself into the ring. No disqualification. Anything goes. You don't clothesline me out of the blue. Love that, Ricky. He never disappoints, even on the way out. Thank you, Ricky Steamboat, for that little soundbite. Yeah, it's kind of, again, the irony there. He's talking about, I thought I had it all ironed out, and then you got to the ring and said, you're not doing that. Kind of sounds like his contract <laughs> situation a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's where we stood. We learned here on this episode of Worldwide that, yes, we were going to get the no disqualification match between Luger and Steamboat, which would have been on the house shows at least into the fall, maybe even culminated at Halloween Havoc with another one, or maybe even a, I don't want to speculate, but the cage was already going to be there anyway, maybe a cage match, maybe some other kind of gimmick match. But instead, uh, what could have been is no more. Ricky Steamboat is gone from the NWA, and as far as I know, that's the last 
We will see or hear from Ricky Steamboat here in 1989. It's unfortunate. He came in like a whirlwind way way back at the beginning of the year. He really saved the first third of this year as far as uh, not just for the NWA, but for us being able to call those great Steamboat and Flair matches really saved the shows, the big shows. You've mentioned it numerous times. Where the heck would the NWA be if we didn't have Steamboat? And I, I couldn't even imagine. We move on to 6.05, August 5th. It's the NWA World Championship Wrestling Show. This was taped August 2nd, so only airs three days after being taped here at center stage. So we should be all up to date here, hopefully. It's Jim Ross hosting with Gary Hart this week. Yeah, you know what's crazy, man? With all these hosts, and some weeks you have them, some weeks you don't. It's mainly just JR. Why the hell did they do Magnum TA the way they did? I thought he was doing an excellent job at the start of the year. He could have done great. You have two really good hosts that are there doing the job and consistency, and you just threw it away so you can have Michael Hayes on there for a piss break. I think, you know, and, I, and I'm just guessing here, but Magnum TA was Dusty's boy, and Dusty was gone by the time TA got that spot, but I think that's why TA was already there, even under contract. He was also the Crockett's boy. He was one of their, you know, prospects to the future world championship uh, for Magnum TA. You yeah. know, that, that was in his sight. The Crockett's no longer have any control either. I'm not saying that's why he's no longer here, but I am saying that had any of them still been here, they probably would have had more pool and maybe we'd still have Magnum in, in a more prominent position or a position at all at this point here in the company. So, yeah, I, I think back to that often. In fact, I don't have that in my notes anywhere here, but I I thought about that repeatedly when Jim Ross hosts alone, when Michael Hayes randomly pops back up, when Gary Hart's here this week. I thought of it when I was taking notes here. Uh, just It's yeah. a shame for Magnum, who could have been here each and every week, and maybe added something, some continuity to it at least. And instead, it's just whoever shows up from week to week. At the very least, Bob Cottle, Lance Russell. Let's let's get another announcer out here. It definitely would have made it better and just kind of break up the monotony of just Jim Ross over and over and over and over again. Yeah, we pointed Jim this over. out. He's on four out of five shows right now. He's on the Power Hour with Jim Cornette. He's on Worldwide by himself. He's on the World Championship Wrestling Show here with whoever decides to show up, and then he's on the main event with Pauly Dangerously. And you know what I forgot to put in my notes during the watch-along last week when we did the bash was uh, Dave Meltzer noted that going into the pay-per-view, Jim Ross had lost his voice because he had done so much voiceover work. And you wouldn't have known it from the pay-per-view, luckily, but that begs the question, why is he doing all of this voiceover work? It's not like it's something that's a necessity. There are plenty of other guys capable of handling the voiceover work. Well, he's your buddy on Twitter, man. Why don't you go ask him? Why the hell oh. did you not give up some of your hosting gigs back in 89? <laughs> <laughs> we'll move I away from that question. Uh, we'll uh, move I was on. just going to say real quick. Yeah. Uh, at, the end of, at the end of the bash, I, we didn't have time to mention it because it's you know fast and fury. But when you picked up the audio, you could tell Jim, Jim Ross's voice was pretty much gone when he was selling that last angle there at the pay-per-view. Right. He's just a pro's pro that he was able to fight through it and get it going long enough to get through the pay-per-view. But yeah, just ridiculous, man. We head to the ring. It's the Skyscrapers taking on Bob Emery and George South. But Sid Vicious sits this one out. It's Dan Spivey taking on both guys in basically a handicap match. Teddy Long joins commentary repeatedly throughout the match, back and forth to the ring, back to the commentary. Dan Spivey with a powerbomb on Bob Emery ends this match in only a minute, 54 seconds. We get a promo from Sting here, and I was not a fan of this promo. This reminded me of early 89 Sting. Someone clearly needs to run, he needs to uh, clearly run these promos by uh, somebody else before he goes on TV and cuts these, and I can't believe they, they don't demand retakes 
Here, Sting makes a fool of himself by basically saying he doesn't <laughs> like the name of the Dragon Shy match. He thinks it sounds stupid. Dragon Shy sounds stupid, Steve. What Sting wants to change it to is the Dragon Tough match. In fact, from now on, that's what he's going to call it, the Dragon Tough match. You tell me what sounds stupid. Oh, Lord. Yeah, this is, this is a train wreck. He says, I don't want to take anything from Japan or have anything with Japan, but you still leave the dragon part in, which is Japan. Yeah, dude, I don't know. This is terrible. Like you said, this felt like early 89 steam where he had nothing to do, but now he's in his biggest feud to date and he's cutting shit promos. Like your buddies with Ric Flair now, ask him if this sounds good or not. Yeah, so, and I should point out that the match Sting is selling here is a Dragon Shine match with the Great Muda at the Omni in Atlanta, the final night of the Bash Tour, which takes place tomorrow night, August 6th. We also get a promo following Sting with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. It's Funk versus Flair as well at the Omni in a rematch for the World Heavyweight Championship. They are pushing the shit out of this Omni show, even though the only people that can even see it or attend it are the people in Atlanta. Terry Funk says he doesn't need anybody in his corner to beat Ric Flair at the Omni. Gary Hart, Great Muda, nobody. He doesn't need anyone. Gary Hart says... Ric Flair is running scared. Terry Funk promises he will be the new champion tomorrow night at the Omni. And the heels mention there's the chance of, we want Flair. We want Flair from the fans. Well, Funk says that nobody wants Ric Flair more than him. And they continue to push this Omni card tomorrow night. <laughs> it's just the beginning of the show, and it does not stop at all. I thought this was a pretty good promo, though, by, Rick, by Terry Funk. Uh, he did uh, an excellent job here. This is very good. And... I'm telling you, though, even though it's excessive and it's very, very repetitive, like, oh, we're going to be in the Omni tomorrow, like, I would love, absolutely love to see this show because the matches on it, even though we've kind of seen them at the Great American Bash, it just sounds awesome. And, you know, it's the end of a tour type deal, so they're probably going to give it one last everything I got. I'm going to do it the best I can. There's probably some tremendous matches on this card, and right. I would love to see it. And it's the Omni, so I'm sure they gave it, yeah. gave it everything they had. Back to the ring, it's Wildfire Tommy Rich taking on old Trent Knight. Tommy Rich, we learn, is the next challenger in line for Lex Luger's U.S. Heavyweight Championship. They say Tommy Rich is getting into fighting shape for Lex Luger. He has a long way to go if Tommy Rich is trying to get in shape. Uh, even Gary Hart, though, puts over Tommy Rich as a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, but states that nobody can beat Lex Luger at this point in time. And it's Chinlock Mania running wild by the Wildfire here. All match long, it's Chinlock after Chinlock after Chinlock, and a Thez Press. Ends the match five minutes and 44 seconds. I swear, when I looked down and saw this wasn't even six minutes, I would have guessed this was a 10-minute match by this point. It was just chin lock all day long. Yeah, there's a couple things. I, I took notes on this one. I don't like a recently returning Tommy Rich struggling this much in a squash match when you're trying to make him out to be the next challenger to your U.S. title. Right, and we know Steamboat's gone by this point. So this isn't recorded yeah. prior to that when you're not selling this. Yeah, absolutely. So they're on commentary hyping up that he's the next challenger. And then Gary Hart, he actually made a great point here that if Rich comes in with the same mentality that he is with Knight, then he really has no chance of beating Lex Luger. It's just kind of paraphrasing. But Gary Hart pointed out that he's going to have to come in and do something more than this or he's not going to have a chance at all. And I agree with that completely. So I, I thought Gary Hart did a good job here as far as this match goes with his commentary. Promo time with the total package, Lex Luger. He talks about his match coming up. Where? <laughs> the Omni. Uh, seems to be the running theme all night long here. Lex Luger is going to challenge, or excuse me, Lex Luger is going to defend his championship against Rick Steiner tomorrow night at the Omni. They are selling the hell out of a show that nobody can see. 
Uh, but Luger says he's finally the number one contender. Yeah, most in part because Ricky Stimos no longer in the top 10, Lex. <laughs> but no matter how he got there, he is the number one contender. Uh, no mention of Ricky Steamboat. It's as if he never existed. Luger also says he's the greatest United States champion of all time. He's the Mike Tyson of the NWA. He chews people up and spits them out. And as quick as they can find opponents, he gets rid of them. Uh, so basically, Lex Luger here uh, now stuck against Rick Steiner at the Omni. And Luger says that Rick Steiner has the credentials. He says the credentials are there, but he doesn't stack up to Lex Luger. And that, this is just uh, like I mentioned, they're finding several opponents seeing what sticks right now uh, for Lex Luger. And here it's it's Rick Steiner for the Omni card. Yeah, this would be a very, very good match. I think it'd be very, very entertaining. If they got the right amount of time. I wish I could see it, man. I know that I keep on saying that, but man. <laughs> yeah, I love the hell out of the uh, the quick storyline they used in 91 between Luger and Steiner to set up the title match, the world title match on, on the clash. I remember when Rick uh, said, I can beat you. And it almost was a flashback to the Rick Steiner of 89 and like, you can't beat me. And Rick's almost playing stupid and he doesn't even really, yeah, I can. Like, remember that one time when I beat you? The pisses Lex off. Lex tells him, get in the hell in the ring right now. They get in the ring and Rick's not even taking it seriously. He's like, he's playing with a friend because Lex is, you know, newly turned heel. And Rick winds up belly to bellying him. I think it was a belly to belly and counting his own three count. And there, see, I beat Lex Luger. I remember sitting on my bed with my brother and our asses bouncing up and we're, we're so excited. This is a tremendous quick out of nowhere angle to set up a, a one-off match at the clash of the champions. But that's what this feels like here. Again, I, I can see this match really being entertaining. If not for one night only. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's the road warriors. It's center stage. I don't know the last time we've seen this or if we've seen it at all in center stage. It's the, they rush the ring. They attack Fred Avery and John Brewer. They hype up the War Games rematch coming up tomorrow night in the Omni in Atlanta. 55 seconds is how long this match goes before they hit a version of the Doomsday device. It's the bear hug version where Animal hoists the guy up in sort of a bear hug maneuver. And Hawk comes off the clothesline, getting the win on Brewer here in, in under a minute. Jim Ross actually hypes up a promo with the Road Warriors during the match and even during the instant replay of the match. I got the Road Warriors coming over here right now. We're going to interview them, folks. And we don't see it. And it's, it's kind of odd in my, my version that we don't see it because I understand the other version that's out there is kind of clipped down, but mine's not really clipped down. So I'm like, what the hell happened? So I go to the old version that's already out there in circulation. I watch that version and it's also missing the Road Warriors promo. So I go into uh, results and things of that online and I, it's all there. There's no mention of a Road Warriors promo. So it's almost like they planned one and either they couldn't use it for whatever reason, Hawk. Or they just, they never got around to, to, to recording the promo. I, I go with the second option there. <laughs> they ain't cutting nothing, dude. Let's be honest. We, look at this shit we've seen already this week. There ain't no way they cut it. That's true. Because if, it. if they were going to cut something, it would have been the danger zone here with Michael Hayes all alone. Uh -oh. Not even, not even Jimmy Garvin to save this one. It's all Michael Hayes and Paulie dangerously. The reason they're out there together, Paulie says they're the two greatest minds in wrestling history. And they're both the leaders of their team at the War Games tomorrow night. Say it with me, at the Omni. Paulie starts bringing up the tag teams, the dynamic dudes. Michael Hayes says, no problem. The Midnight Express, a little bit of a problem, but not much. The Steiner Brothers, now we're starting to run into problems, says Michael Hayes. Nobody calls the Freebird sissies, and apparently the Steiners have done so. Michael Hayes references the attack on the Road Warriors in the cage way back on the Power Hour as the massacre in Marietta. Well, he says tomorrow night at the Omni, it's going to be the Annihilation in Atlanta. 
So we get one more War Games. It's actually, they only had two War Games this entire Bash Tour. The first one on pay-per-view and the second one here to close out the Bash Tour. And, and I believe there was blood involved because Michael Hayes actually kind of mentions here that nobody makes the Freebirds bleed. So it almost feels like there was probably some sort of blading here since it was non-televised. Yeah, most likely. That's what I'm saying. It'd be fun as hell to watch that match. Rick Steiner promo, another funny one here, as he brings out two front row tickets to the show tomorrow at the Omni. One's for Jim Ross. Who's the other one for, Steve? It's for Rick Steiner. Jim Ross explains to Rick that, Rick, you're wrestling in a match. You don't need to have a ticket to sit ringside, but it doesn't seem, uh, Rick doesn't seem to comprehend what Jim Ross is trying to tell him. Jim Ross tells Rick, maybe, maybe you want to give the tickets to Robin Green, your girlfriend, Robin Green. Rick says he doesn't spend money on girls like that. Robin Green shown in the crowd while this promo is going on with a I love Rick Steiner sign. Rick never really gets it by the end of the promo. It's really a nothing promo, but it's just another fun Rick Steiner promo as he's gotten front row tickets to watch himself wrestle and he doesn't even realize it. See, I had an issue with this. My biggest sticking point is Ross asked Rick about fighting Luger and winning the U.S. title. And he's like, but we're in the front row. It's like he doesn't even care. And I understand the gimmick, but he didn't do that to the TV title when he was in matches for that belt. And this is the second biggest title in the company. You're going against the number one contender for the world title. I wish you would have took it just a little bit more serious. I mean, I understand the gimmick completely. And even if Ross didn't ask that question that he did about fighting Luger and winning the U.S. title, because he specifically mentioned those things to try to trigger something in his head that, hey, this is important. And he totally ignored it. And he was more concerned with about being in the front row. And again, I get it, but I, I just don't feel like this is the time to do something like that. Yeah, I, you know, it didn't really bother me. It really fit Rick Steiner's character, but also, I mean, it's just the, it's just this Omni show. It's not a long, drawn-out, built-up pay-per-view match. I, I, I get the argument there. This didn't really offend me much because there's really no backstory to this. So it was just really just more yeah. of a, a comedy segment. I mean, you really don't need to sell this match. <laughs> you've, you've been selling everything in the entire show. So I, I get your point uh, completely. I, think, I just think I it would have bothered me more had this been a, a pay-per-view type situation. Yeah, I get that too. I wouldn't want to waste any chance at winning the second biggest title in the in the company. So whether it's a house show or a pay-per-view, it shouldn't matter. But I, I understand where you're coming from too. Main event time is the New Zealand Militia taking on Sting and Eddie Gilbert along with Missy Hyatt. The faces dominate the first four minutes of the match before Eddie Gilbert performs a head scissors takeover on Jekko victory. He tries it once more, but this time he, he winds up taking a shot from the boomerang from Rip Morgan right in the throat, and Eddie goes down. The militia wind up taking over. They get the heat on Hot Stuff. Get it? Hot tag to Sting, or Hot Stuff tag to Sting. See what I did again? You're on a roll. Yeah. We get a four-way melee pretty quickly after the hot tag to Sting. Scorpion Deathlock applied on Rip Morgan, but no sooner than he applies it, does Terry Funk hit the ring with a branding iron, nails Eddie Gilbert with the branding iron in the corner, and Great Muda right in behind Terry Funk. So we get Terry Funk and the Great Muda double-teaming Sting at this point because Eddie Gilbert's taking that bump to the floor after getting nailed with the branding iron. So they do a two-on-one, and Terry Funk even winds up taking off his boot. And I don't want to break away from the storyline here too long, but I thought it was funny that while all of this is going on in the ring that the New Zealand militia walk away and raise their hands in celebration like they, like they won a match. So I just, it was like, wow, talk about getting yourselves over at the wrong time. But So the militia walk away as uh, Funk and Muda do a number on Sting with a cowboy boot, when lo and behold, here comes Ric Flair. Ric Flair out to the ring, 
And Flair tries to hold off both Funk and Muda, but he winds up going down to the cowboy boot. Sting winds up getting one of the cowboy boots away from Terry Funk, running the heels out of the ring, but we wind up getting another brawl similar to what we saw at the Bash pay-per-view in the ring, outside of the ring, all over center stage as we go into a commercial break with all four men battling it out. Yeah, this is awesome. This is a tremendous angle to continue the feud right after the Bash. The crowd was going insane there at the center stage, and it was just awesome. It was all over the place. But it was, it was just the continuation of what we've seen at the end of the bash. I, I thought it was great. This was a, another excellent angle at the end of Saturday night that should hopefully keep you wanting to tune back in to next week's Saturday night to see more of it. So uh, I'm excited to get ahead and find out what happens. Yeah, and the show's not even over yet because we come away from the brawl and we wind up getting a promo. Jim Ross interviews Sting, Eddie Gilbert, and Ric Flair. And it's odd seeing those three in the same place at the same time. Of course, all the back history Sting has issues with Flair going all the way back to Clash of the Champions 1 back in, what, March, April of 1988. And then Eddie Gilbert, just earlier this year, Ric Flair broke the nose of Eddie Gilbert on the floor of TBS Studios. So we're going to get a promo now from all three guys. Let's listen to what they have to say. I got to say, I never, ever thought that I'd say I like the Nature Boy. I used to hate the Nature Boy. Still don't know about him sometimes, but right at this very moment, ah, nature boy, you're doing all right. And I like those new boots he's got, too. I want to see those suckers. Flair still strutting this stuff. Eddie, you all right? Yeah, let me, let me just say something. I kind of agree with Sting. But after what just happened, and after the man came to the ring, I forgot everything he ever did bad. All I know is the world heavyweight champion. You know, Eddie... <laughs> and you'd have told me six months ago I'd stand here on national TV and high-five this man. I'd have called you a lion, no good, you know what. But the bottom line is, pal, I owe you. Come here, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> All fair and love and war. And Terry Funk, if you're back there, take a look at this, bud, because I'm wearing your boots. And the bottom line is, tomorrow night in Atlanta, Georgia, where the women are as hot as the summer nights, we, that's right, girls, don't things ever change. We, myself, the Stinger, Eddie Gilbert, are going to make things right in the world. Woo! professional wrestling that means that some people we've already talked about are gonna bleed and sweat and pay the price for walking on the wrong toes how do one time big man we <laughs> You know, think about this. I'm, for the first time, going to have the pleasure of watching the Road Warriors in the war games from the outside. And I love it. Hawk, Animal, SST, Freebirds, Midnight, Pandemonium, only in Atlanta, Georgia. Terry Funk. <laughs> Gary Hart, 
and Muda tomorrow night. So a uh, fun promo there is all three guys basically explain away why they're all of a sudden getting along. Eddie Gilbert feels like Flair just saved him. Flair just feels like these two guys saved Flair. And Sting really never had a major gripe with Flair. He just never really cared for him. And right now, he's kind of digging Ric Flair. So everybody's getting along here. And the funny part of this promo here is Ric Flair taking Terry Funk's cowboy boots, uh, apparently during the, the commercial break, and put them on. And they fit. And so during this promo... The camera pans down to Ric Flair in a suit wearing Terry Funk's cowboy boots and doing a little dance in them. So fun stuff and a really cool go-home promo to the Omni show is Flair not only sells his match with Terry Funk, but the War Games as well, which was being billed as the main event of the Omni card. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can't wait to see how well they did here. I want to see the numbers. I hope they did well because they, they're really, really trying to do their best to at least turn this one house show around to get a good gate and send the bash home on a, on a good note. So um, they did everything they possibly could in that Saturday night program to sell this show. And after that last, you know, five, six, seven minutes of that show, if I was on the fence, I'd be heading down to Atlanta and checking out a, a, the Great American Bash for sure. Yeah, it's really odd to see them hard selling for an entire hour, hard selling a basically what's a, a glorified, uh, well, it is a house show, but a glorified house show. It's it's certainly a huge house show, don't get me wrong, but it's like it's it's almost like they're putting all their eggs into this basket and it's really not going to make or break them. But I do admire that it's like, hey, we're going to go out with a bang here at the very least. We're going to do it in Atlanta, which is where their TV is. So it's a really great uh, way to close the show. I, I really enjoyed it as we move on to the day of the Omni. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to look at the NWA main event for August 6th. This was taped July 31st in New Orleans as well. It's Paulie Dangerously and Jim Ross hosting the show. The first segment of the show is actually the post-match brawl from the Great American Bash pay-per-view with Sting, Funk, Flair, and Muda. So I thought this was an excellent way to sell the program. Not the program, the TV program, but the actual program that's going on, the tag team feud, and then future shows with, with these guys going at it. Uh, exactly what you should do on TV is show these type of situations, these post-match angles, and not so much what was going on during the actual match here. So no finishes shown, uh, no matches shown from the pay-per-view thus far, two weeks in, two weeks past the pay-per-view, still haven't given away anything. So far, so good. Jim Ross has kept his word there. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like what they did with Wrestle War when they constantly showed that pile driver. You didn't necessarily see how the match ended, but you, I mean, I think they did show it initially, but they kind of cut it all out and just showed the pile driver over and over and over. And I think that's what you need to do to get you to your next big show, to show what happened at the end of this the pay-per-view. And part of this main event, Steve, was uh, actually missing at least the, the version that's floating around out there in an internet world. So that's another reason why I was happy to grab my version of this main event and convert it so that we could view it and just enjoy it. And uh, nothing special, but it's just nice to have the entire show. And one of the matches missing from the original version that's out there is Mike Rotunda, once again, taking on Steve Casey. He's Captain Mike, and he's doing a new gimmick now where if you can beat him or if he gets disqualified or is caught cheating, he will give away his Letterman jacket, his Syracuse jacket, to the to his opponent. So this is a very basic, grounded match, very scientific from Rotunda as things get going. But Casey winds up backing Rotunda to the corner. Tommy Young gets in between him, dips his head. Rotunda takes a cheap shot, lands it right between the eyes of Casey, knocks him off balance. Butterfly suplex ends it in 5 minutes, 41 seconds. Rotunda proving to be the heel here, so he is cheating. He's just doing it behind the referee's back. We're going to see if he ever gets caught. Yeah, this adds a little layer to the Mike Rotunda. It's not bad, and it fits his character and 
what he is. He's always been that scientific wrestler that can work the mat and do suplexes and just be a really solid wrestler. But he also likes to cheat, so it's just classic, basic heel shit. And I, I actually enjoy it. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, and it, it can lead to some decent matches and decent, you know, things that you're looking for in future matches with bigger names. So, not a bad idea. Gary Hart pre-tape promo, very generic promo. He talks about Sting taking on the Great Muda in a rematch for the TV title. Uh, basically, it's set up for a, a bunch of house show matches. Gary Hart doesn't even mention where it's taking place. It's taking place in your town, Steve. So they were running this rematch everywhere. Uh, basically wound up nobody winning that the rematch. So everybody got the rematch. And just a very generic promo, as Gary Hart says, you know, uh, it's coming. It, the match is going to take place in your town or in your area or whatever words he used. I thought thought it was very cheap. <laughs> I guess it's a different way of doing it without having to cut 30 or 40 different promos just to change the name of the location. Well, I'm not arguing that. I just, I, I didn't really, I, th- I just thought it was kind of lame. Yeah, I agree with you, but I mean, if you really want to do it, you got to do it right. And... Yeah, I don't know that I, I don't know that I was believing even, even as a kid that, that that match just happened to be coming to my town. It wasn't going anywhere else. So I would like to have seen him just save it for a, a TV episode or something like that. Back to the ring. It's the New Zealand militia taking on the Midnight Express. New Zealand split to the floor early. And this is where the crazy fan you had mentioned before it comes in here. He comes up to the railing while Jacko and uh, Rip Morgan are outside selling, and he starts going all crazy and nutty, like right, right at the guardrail, right in front of him. And this is where Jim Ross calls him Norman's roommate from the sanatorium. Yeah, earlier he said he needs to get back. Somebody needs to get that guy back on his medicine. Is what Jim Ross said. I forgot to mention that. But uh, yeah, well, the, the guy clearly had some issues. I mean, the guy, the guy clearly wasn't all there. That's that's for certain. Or he was just three shits to the wind and didn't care. Either way. So we get Stan Lane in the ring with Rip Morgan. Jacko Victory wanders over with a canteen, throws the liquid right into Stan Lane's eyes, right in front of the referee. Was it water or was it Gordon Soley's stash? Uh-uh, alcohol abuse, brother. So the heels take over after throwing, I, I presume it to be water, into the eyes of Stan Lane. Stan Lane with a karate kick to Victory. Karate kick to Morgan, though, winds up making the hot tag to beautiful Bobby. All four men wind up brawling outside. Bobby Eaton and Jacko Victory back onto the apron. Victory accidentally backdrops Eaton back into the ring. Isn't an over-the-top rope of disqualification? Or is that only to the floor? <laughs> I don't know how that works. But anyways, the referee was on the counter nine when Victory backdrops Eaton back in, and the Midnight Express barely beat the militia on a count out here in eight minutes and 51 seconds. So the Midnights have been working the birds for the world titles. They're getting ready to work some matches with the skyscrapers here, but they can't beat the militia? Yeah, I thought this was a stupid finish. Very, very dumb. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Somebody doesn't give a shit about the Freebirds because they're just, or not the Freebirds, but the Midnights because they're just treading water and kind of just. They've they've taken away Cornette's promo time and the Midnights really aren't uh, really a focal point of TV whatsoever. So Cornette doesn't ever get to really speak. I mean, he hosts Power Hour, but I mean, in regards to his wrestling character with the Midnights, he doesn't really ever get to speak at this point anymore after dominating the first few months of the year. And his team is barely ever seen on TV. And when they are, it's just your typical, it almost feels like George Scott is booking when they're out there because they're just wrestling a match. And that's pretty much it. Other than that one great angle we saw with them and the birds the one week on TV to, to build towards war games. Outside of that, really nothing uh, from the Midnight Express. Well, it's time for Freebirds promo. Uh, this was actually recorded at center stage. And we learn here that Terry Gordy is gone. Bammer's back on Freebird Hill. He actually works tonight's bash show at the war games. But after that, Bam Bam is gone. Terry Gordy's gone from the NWA 
and I am completely done with the Freebirds at this point. Well, I've been done outside of Gordy, so I can carry even less now. So the Freebirds talk to Steiner Brothers. Rick is slow, says Michael Hayes. He doesn't understand, says Michael Hayes, but he will understand this, and he shows his fist. He seems like he's referencing an angle that we seem to have missed or never saw anyway. Makes it sound like he's already attacked Rick Steiner, and, and they can't continuously reference the Steiners calling them sissies. I must have missed that too. It feels like an entire angle that never made it to air. That's what it feels like. I was wondering where all this happened, and I don't remember seeing it. Back to the ring, it's World Tag Team Champions Freebirds taking on the dynamic dudes in the main event of the main event. Shane Douglas dumped to the floor early when Michael Hayes lowers the top rope, and the birds get the heat on Shane Douglas. Jimmy Garvin winds up getting thrown off the top rope by Shane Douglas and a hot tag to Johnny Ace. Ace into Garvin's knee on the apron pretty quickly after the hot tag, though, and stumbles right into a Michael Hayes DDT. The Freebirds get the win here in 6 minutes and 48 seconds, and I'd love to say the Dynamic Dudes experiment is over. It's clearly on life support, but somehow they decide to resuscitate it here uh, pretty soon. Did you uh, pick up on the chant here at the very beginning where it says, F them up, Freebirds? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what they were saying. thought I heard the F word in there, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were telling him to beat the shit out of uh, the dudes here. So, yeah, they're clearly on life support, if you want to call it that. And yet somehow, and I don't know if it was Jim Ross or someone completely different, they decide to try to revive the dynamic dudes here uh, not too long after this and sticking them. Well, well, we'll wait until we get there. I don't want to spoil it for people who really don't know 1989 and just enjoying it as we go. And as we close this show, Jim Ross says tonight at the Omni, August 6th tonight, it's the Great Muda versus Sting for the vacant TV title belt, and that's very important. We'll get to that when we get to the bash results here in a moment. We also learned there will be no main event next week on TV, and remember the Power Hour is on following the World Championship Wrestling Show next Saturday night. All that hype and no footage of the NWA Great American Bash, the final stop of the tour here, August 6th, 1989, Atlanta, Georgia at the Omni. I see conflicting reports. So I can't really give you a definitive answer here. You're really curious to the draw here at the Omni. I've seen 7,500, and I've also seen DeMelt's claim it was a sellout of 13,000. I'd like to think it was 13,000, but I don't know where the 7,500 came from, if that's, in fact, the, the issue here. So I can't really give you a definitive answer here, Steve. You can kind of take either one and, uh, and go with it. You know what Jim Cornette has for that? I do not. I don't, I don't believe so. That'd be interesting to see what he has, but I don't know who to believe or what to believe because that's a pretty large discrepancy. I mean, yeah. if it was a thousand or two, like it's a toss up, but it's yeah. almost half. It's like it's a little less than half difference there. So it's uh, that's that's too big of a gap to pick one or the other. Like you, you kind of need to know. Yeah, kinda I think I think I'll try to do a little more deep diving into it and see what see what else I can come up with. At least see where the seventy five hundred came from. And maybe I'll uh, go in and look at, I know Cornette's talked the Bash Tour before in depth on his podcast, so maybe I can dig that show up. It's been a couple of years since he did it, but maybe if I can dig that episode up, uh, we might get some facts and figures there from Cornette as well, because I'm sure he knows, uh, he knows every show he was ever on, and he was definitely there, he was part of the War Games uh, on the outside, but he was still out there for the main event. And this is the final stop of the Great American Bash Tour, and the card goes something like this, the Dynamic Dudes over Ron Simmons and Al Green. The New Zealand Militia over Ranger Ross and Steve Casey. Norman defeats Lee Scott. Lee Scott makes the bash, Steve. My boy. Wildfire Tommy Rich over Wild Bill Ehrman. Thank God we don't get that one on TV. 
Big Sid Vicious oh, and Dangerous Dan Spivey, the Skyscrapers, defeat the Party Patrol, Davy and Johnny Rich. Eddie Gilbert teams with Scott Steiner, defeating the Great Muda. Notice that name? And Kevin Sullivan in a dragon-shy tag match. The bout was originally scheduled to be Sting versus Muda for the vacant TV title in a dragon-shy match. I don't know what happens here. I haven't gathered any information. So I can't wait to look into this and see why this was changed. They were building it up as late as the World Championship Wrestling Show. Sting versus Muda for the, mm-hmm. the rematch here. Feels like they're just trying to prolong having a winner here for the TV title. But at the same time, it's very odd that Sting's nowhere to be found on this show. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely odd. What a disappointment. I mean, if you just take that match out and you had Sting and Muda and then the rest of this card, the last four matches, holy hell, that would have been amazing. Yeah, and had they not even sold this match, you really wouldn't be too bummed out because you're going to get Lex Luger and Steiner, Flair and Funk and War Games. You can't really complain too much if you never thought this match was going to happen, but when you sell something this huge for the vacant title for Sting versus Muda, a rematch from the pay-per-view, how great that was, and then you just don't do it at all. I, I'm, I'm, that's another thing. I, I, when I took these notes, that was something I already planned to look into. Very curious to see what happens there with that one, why, why that was changed if Sting was injured what the idea was behind this. I, I just don't get it. And we close off the show with oh, a trifecta yeah. of main events. It's NWA US champion Lex Luger over Rick Steiner, NWA world champion Ric Flair, once again over Terry Funk, and the second and final war games of the Bash Tour. Once again, it's the Roadies, the Midnights, and Dr. Death over the team of the SST and all three Freebirds to close out the show. And it was noted during that war games match that Stan Lane suffered a hand injury during the match. I'm surprised he, <laughs> he didn't do much in the first one, so I doubt he did much in the second one. So it's kind of surprising he got injured there. Just like nailing a girl, Steve, it only takes one time for, for something to happen. <laughs> I guess you're right, man. I get. I guess you're right. And we're going to close this episode of The Grenade just in quick mention because, of course, we had George Scott booking everything for about, I think it was something like 11 whole weeks there to kick off the beginning of 1989 before it moved into the booking committee led by Jim Hurd, Jim Ross, and all the guys on down the line. But it's right around this time here that we get a new head booker. The booking committee stays intact. It may change a little bit. I know Kevin Sullivan wanders in, uh, officially wanders in anyway. Jim Cornette officially wanders in as well here as part of the committee. But the new head of the committee is the nature boy, Ric Flair. And I'm just going to leave it right there at that. And we're going to kick off next week's episode of the Grenade. And we're going to talk all about it, how Ric Flair got the job, what happened to lead to Ric Flair getting the job as head booker, as he basically calls the bluff on Jim Hurd and Jim Hurd forces Jim Hurd's hand. Jim Hurd basically gets put in a position where he has to give Ric Flair the, the position as head booker here. And he's not just head booker. He's the, the decision maker. So while these other guys give him ideas. It's Ric Flair who has the ultimate and final decision moving forward. And that's going to play a big part and a key part in in what happens moving forward here in the NWA. So, but more on that next week, I'm going to leave everybody wanting a little more just so they tune back in next week, Steve. Cliffhanger, huh? So, uh, yeah, this is, I'm interested to hear this story. I might even sneak peek and go check it out myself a little bit ahead of time so I can speak on it a little bit more with a little bit more education i should say on the matter definitely interesting times here in the nwa and and on the grenade i picked up all the information i could gather from every party involved from jim hurd who did the recent interview with conrad i got information from conrad based on his relationship for years now with rick flair so i've basically got both sides of that story 
I've also got Dave Meltzer's version and Jim Cornette's version. So pretty much every historian involved in this situation. So I feel like I got all the facts or at least enough of the facts to, to have a very well-educated lesson on how Ric Flair becomes the booker here next week as we kick off uh, next week's edition of the Memory Grenade. Should be fun. Yeah, see, I, I, I have to do a little history lesson here and there. I, I can't just come out here and wing it and look one guy's point of view up and, and post that or, or, or mention that on the show and call it a day. I, I like to make sure to get all my facts straight before we go on the air here. I take this seriously, maybe more seriously than I should. I don't know who you're speaking to, but if you're speaking to me, I don't think so. You take it, it's what is required. I mean, a lot of people, anybody can just hop on a microphone and just spew stupid stuff because they saw it from somebody else. But how accurate is it? Nobody really knows. But if you get all the information necessary from all the necessary parties, then how can it be wrong? I mean, you could pick certain pieces from each person and you're going to come up with a pretty accurate story. And that's what people need to hear. And that's what we need to hear on the memory grenade. So I appreciate it as a fan of wrestling. I'd like to think of myself as a historian myself. I don't have the memory to where I just remember everything off the top of my head, but I do love to learn. And I love hearing the backstory of how things happen or why they happen. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the next episode and uh, it's going to start off with a bang. And I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, so next week's episode, we got a lot going on. We're going to talk about how Ric Flair becomes the new head booker of the NWA along with the booking committee. We're also going to learn about a lot of the new names headed in and out of the NWA, including what is to become of the Ding Dongs. Hmm. And two more weeks. We're going to cover two more weeks. Two more weeks of NWA TV, and that includes a big faux pas in the weekend of August 26th and the World Championship Wrestling episode. I can't wait to talk about that one. I already know what happened, and man, it's just, it's just, it's just amazing that it could be so bad. Holy shit! I think the only thing I we we can even compare to it is the title change that happened in WWF, and I guess we can compare it to that next week as well. But good God, figure your shit out, NWA. (laughs) Well, hopefully they do with Ric Flair in charge, and hopefully we figure everything out. Maybe some of this stuff with this Bash show here from August 6th as well from the Omni by next week as well. I can't make any promises, but I'll do my best both in the drawing and the number in which they actually drew as well as what happened with sting here. Uh, but until then, Steve, I really appreciate you, man. One more time here uh, as part of the grenade. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's a blast every single time we do this, dude. And I'm, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're here for the ride, the duration. I should say promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter at Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time, but we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. 
Also on Patreon, our Power Hour podcast is now up and running, where we review the current product, recent pay-per-views, and discuss a variety of topics from every era. It's unfiltered, uncensored, and nothing is off-limits on the Power Hour podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front, and we want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021, so we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. And until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. There. I am senior, you get this punk jobber, this jabroni, this Ron Simon, you, you have him do the job. Yahala, motherfucker. <laughs> I would assume That's that, it, yeah. I think it went something <laughs> like that, I, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs>